our off-season previews continues with Columbus, Dallas, Detroit, and Edmonton. But first, we have a big signing involving a team we talked about last week. And that same team was also involved in an offer sheet. Who could it be? We'll talk about it in episode 283 of the Lace Smoke Podcast, which starts right now. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. Lot to talk about on the show, but uh, unfortunately, Brett, uh, we're going to be talking about some sad news. Unfortunately, uh, we uh, found out a few days after recording our last episode that uh, Jimmy Hayes suddenly passed away at the age of 31. Yeah, it's it's kind of it, like it's around where I, um, you know, around my age, I'm about to turn 30 pretty soon in a month. So it, mm-hmm. it's uh, kind of, um, it was kind of crazy too. And just the like, um, yeah, it, it's it's kind of a, it's a stunning thing in, in the Boston hockey world. Um, yeah, so Jimmy Hayes uh, passed away last week. Um, I think it was Monday because I remember I was about to upload and publicize our episode that we had. And then I saw that like, oh, Jimmy Hayes passed away. Yeah, Um, Monday sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it was Jonathan Bouchgrass and he uh, he tweeted out something. And um, what stood out to me was that, um, well, first off, Bouchgrass was saying that like he had just talked to him the week prior um, he was heavily involved in all of Boston hockey. Um, you know, like all the BC guys loved him clearly because he went there. Um, and then he was also, um, you know, even like the BU guys, I saw Brady Kachuk. Um, I guess he's uh, cousins with the Kachuks. Uh, little known fact, the Hayes and the Kachuks are cousins. I don't know. People knew that. Um, but, um, but I saw Brady Kachuk say stuff. Um, a lot of Bruins players who got to know him pretty well around here knew it because he did play in Boston for a bit. Um, he also had like a podcast going on. Um, he was a frequent guest for Spitting Chicklets. Um, so it's like, you know, even though he was retired and I, I think the sadder news is that like he had two young kids um, and uh, they're going to live life without a father um, and that's just, it's always upsetting. Like you forget about hockey. It's just upsetting when someone dies that young. Um, and you know, it, it's interesting too, cause he never really, I just remember when we got him, um, the Bruins got him. Um, and it, he didn't, he had a disappointing, uh, you know, time with the Bruins to say the least. Um, but you know, you kind of like you forget as a fan that like there's a human um, element to it that like it seems like everyone loved the guy. It's it wasn't like you know like yeah it was a bad trade and and all that stuff and he he did have a disappointing uh, season with us but at the same time it's just like 
you know, he was a hometown boy. He grew up here. He went, he played for BC. He, you know, he played for Nobles, uh, which is a nearby school around here. It's like, it's just like, you know, I feel like one of our own just died and that's kind of what happened. It's, um, it's, yeah, it's sad. Um, yeah. There were, there were two parts of the story, the reactions that really got me, um, on Monday. Um, the fact that his wife on Instagram, I think it was Sunday at midnight. So like, this was hours before we, we got word that he had suddenly passed away. Um, it was just the family hanging out at the arcade, recently celebrating uh, the the second birthday of their son, and their their most recent uh, child was born. I think earlier this year or in twenty twenty. Yeah. So like like you said, not not just a uh, the father of two young kids. Like we're not talking seven or eight year old kids. We're talking. Like, like yeah, less than less than three years yeah. old, you know. So they're 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 not only growing up without a dad, they probably don't know too much about their dad. They didn't really yeah. get to know him at all, unfortunately, which is sad. And the one that just absolutely ate at me was Emily Cave. Yep. Um, the the obviously Colby Cave's wife. Um, and her husband suddenly passed away, uh, in April of 2020 around the start of the pandemic suddenly. And apparently Colby cave was pretty close friends with Jimmy Hayes. So that part really sunk in like the fact that these two guys were close friends with each other and now both of them are gone abruptly taken away from this mm-hmm. earth that 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 really stung i'm sure a lot of hockey fans yeah it's it's um you know you you often forget that like um that like you know these hockey players are just human and like you know you know even even though like 31 years old is kind of old uh for a hockey player a professional hockey, for hockey player years, yeah but like in human years, it's still pretty young. Um, mm-hmm. You still have like you know humans tend to have like a lifespan of like eighty five years or so, um, and so that like that means that he you know he still had about three quarters of his life still to go if he um, you know if if that works out and it's just cut short and it's yeah it's it's just a sad thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's uh, strange because it's just you know, obviously. Um, I, I to be honest, I wasn't his like biggest fan, but at the same time, it's just you know obviously you never like wish death on anyone. So, um, I on uh, I do remember though, or I heard a story about this on um, that like uh, Felger. Uh, we talk about Felger a lot here, but uh, he was very critical of Jimmy Hayes when he was here. Um, his uh, uh, the Hayes's father um, was actually like a he's a voucher for the garden uh, here, um, and he also has some like alcohol history. And Felger mentioned that on his radio show um, when uh, Jimmy Hayes was really struggling, um, and then um, so I I heard this on the 
on Spitting Chicklets, but he told this story about how, like, he, um, uh, like, he somehow ran into Felger at, like, some party or somewhere, and, um, and he felt like it was a little bit awkward, because, like, he knew what Felger was saying about his father, and he was, uh, so he even confronted him and said that, like, you know, it's like, you can, you can, uh, like, he gets it, he understood why he was trashing him, because he wasn't playing well, and, and all that stuff, but then he was just saying, like, just don't trash my dad, and all that stuff, and, uh, to Felger's credit, he, he did apologize, but it was, I, I think that just shows the kind of character that Jimmy Hayes was, is that he's just willing to stick up for his family, um, and all reports are saying that he was a very funny guy, just a, like a clubhouse guy. Everyone loved him. I couldn't find a story of a guy who just didn't love him. I mean, um, so it's just like, you know, there, there are things that we just don't see um, in the locker room that um, even though he never ended up working out in Boston, it's just like it seemed like everyone still loves him um, here in Boston and in the Bruins organization. So, um so yeah, it's just it's just sad. That's all I can really say. Um, I do want to do a moment of silence, like we do whenever we talk about death here, um, and then um, there's no easy transition. So I'll just get right to the next thing after this moment of silence. Okay. So uh, in other news. Um, the uh, Andres, uh, there is some news that because we talked about Carolina last week, um, we there they they were pretty busy this week. Uh, the first thing they did was they signed Andrei Sveshnikov finally to a deal. Um, it was an eight-year deal worth seven point seven five million dollars um, per year. Um, it's a pretty it's a pretty nice contract uh, for sure. I. It's weird. I was looking at his stats the other day. It was kind of a little bit underwhelming this year. Um, and I think it's because he just didn't have a ton of ice time, um, which is just interesting that they kind of put him up to this type of contract. But at the same time, it's like Carolina, they lost out on Dougie Hamilton. They lost out on Nadel, or they traded away Nadelkovich. They traded away Jake Bean. Um, and they, we all knew that they were planning on making Sveshnikov the guy. Um, oh, okay. So, uh, Sveshnikov had a 42 points in 55 games. Um, oh, I guess his, his time on ice wasn't too bad. It was at 17 minutes, but, um, but yeah, it, it, it does seem like it's a little bit underwhelming because like the previous year he had 61 points in 68 games as a 19 year old. So it's just like a little bit different than what he had this year in terms of pace. So I guess there is potential that he could be, um, you know, he could bounce back and all that stuff. But um, it's it's a little bit interesting from that perspective. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we all knew that he was going to be signed long term and he was going to get a lot of money for it. Um, and yeah, I, I like this deal. It could end up that like, in a couple of years, if he keeps on progressing, will be like it'll be like looked upon like we look at David Pasternak's contract or Nathan McKinnon's contract now, 
where it's just like, how how the hell did they get Svechnikov at 7.75? Um, so so there is still potential there, but uh, we, we do have to keep in mind that he had kind of a down year compared to his second year in the league. Yeah, so there are a couple of things that I noticed about uh, the Sveshnikov thing. Um, he has got a 10-team trade list in the final four years. Absolutely no strings attached in the first four, which is good. Uh, in terms of cap hits, uh, $9 million in year three, $9 million in year four, and $10 million in year five. Outside of that, it's around $6, $7, 8000000 million. The one thing that really caught my attention was year one, where he gets – the only signing bonus in this deal, it's four million and thirty-seven dollars. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. usually it's straight up one point five million, two million, one million, three million, maybe four or five million, but there's never any and a hundred dollars or a hundred dollars and thirty cents. It's usually just the number four. 4.5, whatever, and then a bunch of zeros after that. And I'm just curious what Svechnikov's doing with those $37. Is he is he going to, like, go on, like, a fast food trip or whatever? Is it going to be a night out? Like, what's he going to spend that? Is he going to spend Maybe he should, uh, he should talk to I'm, I'm uh, his, his uh, maybe teammate, Kaika Niemi, and get the $20 <laughs> from him, which we'll talk about in a second. But, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I just love those little quirky parts. Yeah. Like, they make no sense, um, but it, it, it's it's just fun to look at. It's it's just a little quirky stuff like Crosby and, and how his contract breaks down. To 8.7, 8. Um, yeah, because of his number. Yeah, it's it, it, I, I just find those little quirky bits uh, to be very, very hilarious. So I, I admire uh, Carolina's ability to be creative in that regard. In terms of whether or not he's worth the cap it, absolutely. Um, his rookie year, he had 37 points, 20 of them goals in 82 games, 61 points in 68 games his second year. So his 82-game pace jolted up from 37 to 74. And then this year, it was a 63-point pace over 82 games. He had 42 points in 55 games. 15 goals, so that's his lowest goal total to date in a single season. But overall, you're looking at a guy that could probably generate between 170 to 200 shots, somewhere within that range. A guy that, believe it or not, can also hit. Here's something that would interest you, Brett. In his first three NHL seasons, Sveshnikov has averaged 141 hits. For a guy with the ability to score lacrosse goals to get 123, 116, and 114 hits in each of your first three years, respectively, is pretty darn talented. And in one of those years, he has 20 power play points. That was his second year. Sorry. And there's just a lot to uh, like about his game, his overall game. Obviously not a big shot blocker, but still can do a bunch of other things with great effectiveness. Um, and his highest time on ice this past year, 1732 time on ice average. Yep. In his second year, when he um, probably had his best season to date, he only averaged 1644 per game. And as a rookie, was 1439. So as far as I'm concerned, he's just going to keep getting better and better. 
and you look at the core with, that Carolina has, that young core with Aho, with Trocheck, with Martin Nikash, all the guys that we're going to be talking about. There's just so much to like about this team. Sveshnikov is going to be a big part of that offense for years to come. And the fact that he's locked up for the next eight years, huge, huge win for Carolina. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, you would hope that this season is kind of a mirage and stuff, but, um, but yeah, I mean, even if you still get what he was doing this year, it's, it's a pretty good deal. Uh, Forty-two points and fifty-five games is not like what Jeff Skinner would be making. You know, it's like it wouldn't be the worst contract in the world. So, um, so yeah, I, I think it's it's definitely um, exciting from from that standpoint. And um, you know, I, I still don't know if that necessarily puts the Canes over the top, but um, you know, because they they still did some questionable moves. But um, but yeah, I, I think it was a good signing, and it, it could end up working out for them um, in a very very good way. Um, speaking of odd questionable moves that Carolina made. Um, they also, um, they also made an offer sheet, uh, to Jesperi Kotkaniemi. Uh, fun fact, uh, was that Shvenshnikov was the second overall pick in 2018 and Kotkaniemi was the third overall pick in 2018. Um, Kotkaniemi... We all know who the fourth overall pick was, Brad. Yeah, that was, uh, Queen, was that, oh, Brady Kachuk. Um... (laughs) Because that's the whole rhetoric. It's just yeah. like they could have taken Brady Kachuk instead. They took Jesperi Kakaniemi. They also could have had uh, Quinn Hughes too. Um, yeah, they, they could have had a lot so, of very yeah. useful players for sure. Uh, so the the thing that's interesting about uh, Kakaniemi. Well, first off, they offer sheeted him. Um, first off, I don't know if you've looked at cap friendly recently, but they have yeah. Kakaniemi in the Hurricanes <laughs> team right now, even though. Technically, they're, he's still they're, they're basically Montreal. guaranteeing. They're just like, yeah, yeah, no way Montreal matches this. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, so it's a six point one million dollar um, contract, but it's for only for one year. He's an RFA the next year, um, and so what's interesting is is that um, if the Canes or I guess Montreal, if they match it, um, do qualify it. Um, they, uh, went, you know, the next year, the following year, um, they still have to like keep it at 6.1 or like it, it could be even higher than that. Um, so this is a clear, um, well, first off, I guess I can talk about Kakaniemi right now. Uh, he had 20 points in 56 games, uh, five goals and 15 assists, um, which isn't bad when you consider the fact that he only had four, uh, 14 minutes on ice. Um, and, you know, he's, uh, he was playing pretty much on the third line for most of the time. Uh, does that mean that he's a $6.1 million player? No. Um, however, uh, the Montreal, uh, Montreal Canadiens, if they don't match... Uh, they would receive a first-round pick from Carolina and a third-round pick. Uh, there's also a signing bonus, which I alluded to beforehand, that um, it's $20. Um, and that's because uh, two years ago, uh, Montreal offer-sheeted uh, Sebastian Ajo uh, from Carolina, and Carolina ended up matching 
Um, to the point that um, Don Waddell spoke out saying that I caught like he said something verbatim what Bergevin said when they did it, uh, except they just replaced Aho with um, with Kotkaniemi. He was saying like, I don't think it was like to the letter. There were some no, it was to the letter. That, but it was for the most part, it was to the effect of he wants to sign here. No, it was, was it was literally part. it was literally word for word what he said. Except was for, it really word yeah, for word? Yeah, oh like God. they saw it on Twitter. Yeah. But it was basically... And you, you, you told him about the signing bonus, right? Yeah, yeah, I said that. Um, and the fact that... Um, so th- so there's that. Um, and then... Um, yeah, it's 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 interesting because, like, Carolina, they still have Vincent Trocek. They still have Jordan Stahl in the mix. Um, Martin Nikash, although I guess he's more of a winger now. but um, And, of course, they have Sebastian Alho, who's a center, too. Um, but if you look... So it's not like they really need Kakaniemi, and they they should probably focus more on the defense and their goaltending um, instead of their stuff. So this is a pretty much a clear like revenge offer sheet. Um, but the thing that not a lot of people realize is that like any team could really offer sheet another team. It's just rare that players actually sign the offer sheet. Um, yeah. But this one is. This one's so ridiculous that there's a chance that Montreal doesn't match this uh, thing because because um, they are out of they don't have a ton of cap space and I think I believe that even if they do put Shea Weber on LTIR they're still um, gonna be in cap space they're still gonna be in trouble or something like that so there is a potential that they. They just don't do it. Um, so it would, like, even if they do match it, they're kind of screwed because, like I mentioned, that, like, he's not worth $6.1 million for one year. So... Not even... He's not even worth $6 million, period. Like, yeah. here, here's his 82-game pace. 35-18-29. Right. That's it. So, I know that he's averaging less than 15 minutes per game. Yeah. So he can't really up those numbers. But still... He hasn't hit 40 points in a single season over his first three years. And you're giving him a higher payroll per year than Jonathan freaking Druitt. Yep. Who was not only a top three pick, but definitely scoring at a higher clip than Cockney ever was. True. So the other, so there are like two reasons why I think Montreal may not match. One, uh, like you just mentioned that it's, kind of a terrible contract he's not really worth it although he is 20 years old if given the right opportunity he probably is in a better position in Carolina than in Montreal um, because like he was getting like 14 minutes of ice time um, so it's it's a terrible contract so there that's one reason the other reason is uh, that Montreal might actually or I guess conversely on the other end, um, and we'll talk about Montreal next week, and we'll know more about if they actually did match it or not. Um, but um, but the uh, the other thing is is that Philip Deneau is no longer on the team. Uh, they don't really like other than Nick Suzuki. Uh, they don't really have a center, so um, you know they don't have another center for them. So it's it's very likely that they probably should be able to keep him um 
but uh, but then again, at the same time, like that contract, the, the compensation, it's it's very it could happen where Carolina just keeps him um, just as revenge. And you know, honestly, it's like Carolina has made a lot of questionable moves, um, and this is definitely questionable. But if it if it means like I'm I'm for any team that wants to screw over the Montreal Canadiens, so um, so I, I I love this. I love this. I just love chaos, really. Although I, I will probably regret that if uh, Charlie McAvoy ever gets offer sheeted or whatever. But, but yeah, just the just the, I, I love the idea of just offer sheets because it it is a little ridiculous. The compensations are so high and stuff, and it, it never actually happens. But I feel like this could actually happen. Um, but it's probably like this might be the last time that any team will ever offer sheet because they don't want to screw over another team just intentionally like this. The, the, um, the hockey gods are going to be pleased either way because the team that drafted Logan Mayu gets screwed over or the team that <laughs> signed Tony D'Angelo in free agency gets screwed over. Right, Somebody right, right. is going to end up with a very bad contract yep. on their hands. The yeah. team who signed it or the team that matched it. And, and I do I, want to say that, like, you know, Kakaniemi did have a pretty good playoffs. And, you know, he is only 20 years old. And as I mentioned, he, he also had, you know, 14 minutes of ice time. And that's, like, tough to develop a person. And, you know, he, he's not, like, terrible or anything. Um, yeah, he's definitely not worth $6 million, But, like, you know, it's still, like... Like, I, I, I could see it where he could be, like, a legitimate part of the Carolinas core um, if he is signed. But, yeah, of course, we'll know more next week when we do talk about Montreal. Yeah, we'll talk about Montreal and, and uh, how it impacts uh, the, the side. I, I'm just a bit puzzled that they didn't keep Alex Nadelkovich. They traded away Jake Bean as well as Nadelkovich. Mm-hmm. And they didn't keep Dougie Hamilton for what? To give Cockney an offer sheet? Yep. <laughs> I I'm not I'm not quite sure if I followed that line of thinking, I, but hey, yeah. you do you, Don Waddell. The bold thinking worked for Bergman, maybe it could work for you. And I, I think it's also funny too, because they gave up a um you know, because I I was talking about this last week too, about how they have like uh they had like seven like they had thirteen picks this year. Um, in the draft. Um, so, like, they could afford, to, like, obviously you don't want to lose a first-round pick and a third-round pick, but they could afford to, like, lose those because they have a pretty deep prospect pool now. Um, so it's like, you know, it, it may seem like a pretty bad loss, even though, like, they may miss the playoffs and, um, that you know Montreal could end up getting Shane Wright in the deal, I guess. Yeah, which is why I think Montreal, even if they don't get Shane Wright, they could get a top ten pick if yep. Carolina misses the playoffs. And, so, and that's certainly that's possible why, like, too. if both of those picks are in twenty twenty two, then you know maybe they just bite the bullet and say, "Yeah, we'll roll the dice with Suzuki and Caulfield. You can have uh, Ami take care of him for True. us." True. However, I don't know. Montreal doesn't really have a, any other center other than um, than uh, Suzuki. So, so I don't know what they're gonna do. Yeah, um, even if they, if they kept, uh, even if they kept Eric Stahl and they still keep Gokinami, right. I don't know if they're necessarily stronger or down yep. the middle anyway. <laughs> right, right, right. But 
Um, so anyways, uh, with that, we're going to go with, uh, we're going to start talking about Columbus, um, cause that's our first team this week, uh, to talk about. Um, so, uh, in terms of additions, we were actually, um, oddly enough, we, this team, this trade seemed to have uh, slipped by for a while, uh, like just our minds that I even forgot this trade existed. But uh, Jacob Voracek is now a Columbus Blue Jacket, uh, and Cam Atkinson is going to Phil- the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, Should rephrase, Brett. Uh, he's a Columbus Blue Jacket again because the Flyers right. got him from Columbus. Yeah, no, that that is a good point too. Um, the I, the thing that's interesting about this, and um, maybe it's, um, and I wonder what impact Jacob Voracek has on Patrick Line. Um, because, like, I think a big reason why Line struggled this year in Columbus uh, was, I mean, not just because of torts and all that, but also because, yeah. like, like, when Columbus doesn't have, like, a, um, you know, someone to, like, they don't have a Pierre-Luc Dubois-type playmaker on the team anymore, uh, other than, like, you know, Jack Roslevic did have a pretty good... Um, season when he you know he was given more ice time but like he's not really a Pierre-Luc Dubois um like you know Patrick Laine just needs someone to pass him the puck um and Voracek although he is a winger um Voracek passes the puck like no other um and uh so I I I am curious about how that's that dynamic's going to work where you have Voracek and Line on the same line where Voracek's just uh, giving him, uh, giving Line all the shots and all the opportunity to, to score. So it could, from that dynamic, it could help them out a lot. Um, Cam Atkinson, I guess, is also a pretty good player that they'll probably miss as well. But it seemed like he kind of struggled last year, although I guess everyone in Columbus struggled last year. Um, but, uh, and he, you know, he did have a 40 goal season, uh, two years ago, uh, crazily enough. But then after that, he had a 12 goal season, uh, 12 goal season in 44 games and a 15 goals, goals in 56 games, um, this past year. So, um, so we'll talk about Cam Atkinson, uh, you know, next week or probably in a few weeks when we talk about Philly, but, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, I don't know. I, I, I think it, it could, it could end up working out for Columbus just from like that Voracek is a playmaker and they need more playmakers like that. Yeah. Basically when they got Voracek, we're on the same wavelength once again, Brett, I was just thinking, Oh, look, a playmaker for Patrick Line. Yeah. They kind of need that. Um, and they have a lot of young talent, uh, you know, along with Forchek, it's not just lining. People forget because he's been broken and injured for the better part of the past two years. Gustav Nyquist is under contract. He's a member of the Columbus Blue Jackets. He just hasn't played too, too much for them. Right. Um, and at 31 years old, I think he's still got plenty left in the tank. You also have Oliver Bjorkstrand, an underrated goal scorer. You have Max Domi, who's had a 70-point season before. Boone Jenner can quietly get you 20 to 30 goals on a good year. Um, they got in a serviceable depth guy with Sean Corrali. 
Um, Jack Roslevic, for the most part, delivered more frequently than Patrick Lenny did that last year. Um, Alex Tassier, I like what I've seen from him. Kevin Stenland seems to be a good piece. So does Emil Benstrom. They also have Igor Chinnikov in the prospect system. And um, I would say their top European prospect at the moment. Yep. And they also have uh, some blue-collar guys uh, like Nathan Gerby that are just hard workers, do the little things right, and really win over coaching staffs. So for the most part, I think their forwards are underrated, but I do think there's some potential there if all the pieces fall into play. And the same goes for their blue line. Vladislav Gavrikov is a perfect example of that. Um, Jake Bean, who they've uh, gotten uh, from the Hurricanes, Dean Kukin is also in the mix. Miko Lettinen uh, is there for another year. Um, of course, Adam Bjorkvist in the Seth Jones trade. Yeah, we'll talk Huge about that in piece a for, their, uh, for the future blue line as well. Um, the, the one thing that I think probably happened a little too soon was the Zakarensky contract. I Well, we're about to get into that soon. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it, but I'm, I'm just a little skeptical as how the team itself is constructed overall still, even with uh, trading out Seth Jones, even after trading Cam Atkinson. Yep. Um, that being said, they could be one of those wildcard teams with good coaching, not necessarily that a team that could grab a wildcard spot, but a team that could certainly contend for one and could surprise people in the sense that, wow, I expected this team to not do well at all. And they've really surprised me this year. And a lot of that credit goes to Jarmo Kekalainen because entering the NHL draft this past season, I thought, man, Columbus is in a very tough spot because they have the Seth Jones stuff. How are they going to get full value for him? And then they get a, a young defenseman in Bjorkvist and they get some future assets. They get some first round picks. They're starting to recoup some of those assets. They're restocking the prospect cupboard. And that's what they've needed to do the past yep. couple of seasons. Now they're finally doing that. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot more changes coming up because we don't know how the goaltending is going to shake up beyond this year. But there's there's still stuff there's still enough stuff there where I could look at Columbus and say they might not be so bad for as long as you think. They could be a team on the up and up in a couple of years. Yeah. For sure. Uh, so we're about to get it. You you kind of spoiled it a little bit, but that's okay. Um, but I'll, I'll I keep go bearing into, the leads, huh? Oh yeah, I guess. But I I was going to go more in depth on a few of those things that you talked about. So it's okay. It worked out. Um, so yeah. Uh, so as uh, we we kind of talked about the trades that Columbus made uh, when we were talking about Carolina and Chicago. Uh, mm -hmm. where they get uh, Adam Bockvist um, in a trade uh, for Seth Jones. And then they also, uh, one of those picks that they got in the Seth Jones pay, uh, trade, they ended up going, trading it to Carolina, which was a second round pick in uh, 2021. And uh, they end up getting Jake Bean um, as well. So, so they ended up getting like, in that Seth Jones a pick. They end up getting uh, Cole Sillinger, another pick there, 
and they also get Adam Vogtfist, and then they also end up getting Jake Bean, all in that Seth right. Jones trade, um, in a weird trade tree. I'm sure uh, Steve Daniels is going to do a trade tree of that um, in a few You'll years. You'll probably want to wait a couple more years, yeah, because I'm of course. that trade tree is going to have layers before we know Of, of course, because like, all of these guys haven't even played any NHL things, other, except for uh, Seth Jones, of course, but... Um, but yeah, I, I can I can envision five years from now we'll see a trade tree of the Seth Jones trade. Um, anyways, uh, I just wanted to mention that Adam Bockfist had um, he had 16 points in 35 games last year um, with 16 minutes of ice time, or about, actually about 17 minutes of ice time on average. Um, you know, it it's it's kind of tough to really judge young defensemen like that. Um, especially like for a team like Chicago um, that he played for because they're not necessarily known for their defense at that point. But at the same time, like, you know, um, it's still not too bad because he's only 20 years old um, still. So he, he still has some time to grow and, and learn into that, lean into that role. And then if you go into Jake Bean, which was even more impressive because he had uh, 12 points in 42 games, um, Although I guess not as impressive, but when you consider the fact that he had 14 minutes of ice time um, uh, this past year, um, so um, I I was shocked that uh, a Columbus, I mean not sorry that Carolina didn't protect him in the expansion draft, that Seattle didn't even draft him, and then that uh, the he got traded to Columbus because I thought like okay that just means that they're going to sign him but um but you know uh he's um and Jake Bean is uh 23 years old um so so yes they do end up losing out on Seth Jones but they end up getting like two pretty young defensemen in that trade um in a weird kind of way um and it could end up working out for them because it's been Wierenski and Jones on the defensive side of things and a bunch of scrubs basically on the defensive side. And now, yes, you still have Wierenski and we'll get into his contract in a bit, but like, like this is a Columbus team that's had trouble with prospects for a long time. And now they have two pretty good, solid young defensemen that could grow into their role a little bit more. Um, and it could, you know, it could end up working out for them. Um, in the By the way, run. just as a reference point, Adam Bjorkvist in an 82 game pace averaged 26 points in his rookie year and 37 points this past season. Oh, wow. Again, Brett, you said this guy wasn't even averaging 20 minutes per game. Uh, Adam Bjorkvist or Jake Bean? Yeah. Uh, he had Adam Bjorkvist. Yeah, yeah, 17 minutes. So almost 20, but yeah. <laughs> so the fact that he can average 26 and 37 points in his first two seasons over an 82-game pace with that kind of ice time, yeah. pretty damn impressive. Again, considering the defensive holes in the Hawks' system. Right. And now he's going on to a Columbus team that's probably going to give him more opportunities. Right. Although it's, I mean, he, he won't have Patrick Kane and uh, Kirby Dak or, or Alex DeBrincat on his team. I mean, he does have Patrick Laine, but yes, I... I yeah, and Jacob Borchek, there's there's some offense to go around. True, I, I guess. Underrated offense, but there's... I don't know, I feel like Chicago's forwards are better than Columbus's forwards. But oh, there's no doubt about it, yeah. but it's not like Columbus has nothing. 
True, true, true. And Borkstrand is another one. Um, Rosovic yep. uh, continues to uh, break out, too. Um, so, yeah, we, we talked about Seth Jones um, in the subtractions. Cam Atkinson, we'll talk about it um, in the coming weeks. Uh, other departures, uh, Mattis, Kivalenix, in a, a, a sad news, he, he died. Um, apparently, we didn't talk, I mean, we mentioned it when it happened, but apparently it was because he was, um, um, uh, Elvis Merzilkins and his family was in a hot tub and Mattis Kivalenix actually literally saved, um, uh, Elvis from dying because he, like, there was some fireworks mishap and, um, Mattis Kivalenix basically just jumped in the way so that Elvis and his family wouldn't die. Um, so he died a hero, um, according to Elvis in his, uh, memorial service. So that was, um, it's it kind of like, you know, there was rumors that maybe it was like an alcohol accident or something like that, but, um, clearly it was an accident, but, um, but yeah, just the fact that like he died a hero is, it's a noble thing. Um, you know, um, it's a, yeah, it's just a noble thing. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so now on, on that note, um, we're going to go to, uh, resigns here. Uh, first off, we'll talk about Patrick Line and then we'll get into Warrenski. Um, mm-hmm. Patrick Laine signs a one another one year deal. I feel like he always signs these one year deals. Um, he's still going to be an RFA next year, but uh, he signed a seven point five million um, contract. Um, yeah, as, as I kind of alluded to before, Patrick Laine kind of had an off year, um, but like you could make a point that it's because of like the whole pandemic stuff. He had to like you know he. Um, he wasn't in a good groove all year um, because, like, there was that Canadian border stuff. And then once he was here, he had to deal with torts, uh, benching him sometimes. Um, and um, so there, I, I kind of do hope that he, he does have a bounce back this year because um, I, I love this guy. But, um, but yeah, there, there is a, a chance that he, we may never see the Patrick Line, the rookie year, that again – um, you know, in the 2016 when he almost had 40 goals um, his rookie year. So, um, however, on the other hand, he's 22 years old, um, about to be 23. Pretty Oh, he's 23 years old, sorry. And um, that's still pretty young. So he still has potential. He still um, can be the guy. Um, it's just, you know, it, it's, it does put him in a little bit of a different dynamic where, like, Winnipeg had so many weapons, um, whereas, like, now in Columbus, he is the guy, whereas, like, in Winnipeg, if he was struggling, it wasn't a huge deal, because you have Kyle Connor, you have, uh, Blake Wheeler, you have, um, Ellers, you have, like, a bunch of Shifley, you have a bunch of forwards, whereas here, it's like, yeah, Borkstrand's pretty good, uh, Roslevic, who I talked about, Domi, um, it's pretty good, now you have Voracek, but, um, but I, I, I still feel like uh, Line Eight's gonna be still gonna be the the guy that needs to perform, um, and so so it's another bridge deal, and we'll see how that goes. 
Yeah, the thing about Patrick Laine is a lot of people have been comparing him to Timo Solani in terms of pure raw skill, goal scoring ability. When Timo Solani left Winnipeg, that one season where he got like 60 or 70 goals, however many it was, it was ridiculous that year. And back then, there wasn't a Rocket Richard. If there was, he would have won it easily. Um, He didn't get to that level of goal scoring dominance in a single season again. But you know what? He was Timu freaking Solani, and he was still a badass hockey player. Yeah. And that's what Patrick Laney needs to do. He may never be as good as he was in his rookie year, but if he can be still a consistent 25 to 30 goal scorer with that lethal power play shot and consistently produce for his team, then, then maybe that's good enough. And in a market like Columbus, where you don't have that electrifying offense as Winnipeg did, it's it's up to you to make it work, and again, hopefully the addition of the, hopefully the additions of Voracek and the like um, are going to help out with that. But yeah, next year is going to be an, an interesting one for Patrick Line, and it's it's something that I feel we've we've thought to ourselves a lot of the time. And it's just like, what's he going to come up with next? But there there have been a lot of up and down seasons. Like the first year, he was yeah. very good. The second year. Not as good, but like still very, very good. And then the third year, he was hot and cold at best. And then he kind of bounced back, even though his goal scoring wasn't there. He was still producing for his team. And then this year was arguably his worst in terms of consistency, in terms of results. Um, I think this coming year is going to be a pivotal one. Um, Unfortunately, I think it could also be limited to what's around him and also the division that he's in because the division that Patrick Laine plays in is going to be loaded with talent, loaded with talent on other teams that in terms of offense, in terms of defense, in terms of goaltending, hold a significant advantage over Columbus. Yep. Um, And then we'll talk about the big uh, uh, news here from Columbus uh, side. I think this happened like the day after Seth Jones signed his huge contract. Uh, Zach Wierenski. Thank you, Seth Jones. What did I say? I said thank you, Seth Jones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For Uh, for causing all this. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, So Zach Wierenski gets an extension, um, and he he signs for $9.583 million, um, which is funny because Seth Jones – uh, pay, uh, you know, his contract is like the same amount, except it was 9.5 million. And so it's just, it's just funny. Cause it's like, we're in, it's almost intentional where it's just like, uh, Columbus and Wernski feel like they, uh, he's, uh, 0.083 million, uh, times better than, um, than Seth Jones is, um, because it's, it's an eight year deal. Um, and it's also uh, uh, just like a weird decimal like that, um, which is kind of funny. Um, but it's also like when you look at his stats, it's hard to say that he's not worth that much because uh, he had, just from an offensive standpoint, because uh, he had uh, 20 points in 35 games this past year. And like I've mentioned before, Columbus, like no one on Columbus did really well other than Jack Roslovic and Zach Wierenski. Um, so... Um, and, you know, now that Seth Jones is no longer in the picture, 
um, you know, Zacharinsky is going to be able to have, like, he's going to be the guy. He's going to um, do all the things that uh, Seth Jones was able to do. And, um, you know, maybe that's a good or a bad thing. I don't know. Um, but, because uh, I think Seth Jones is better defensively than Zacharinsky is. But at the same token, it's um, definitely, like, Wierenski could be the guy that Seth Jones was on Columbus. I wonder if the Columbus management was like, we need to sign this guy at all costs. Right. Because, again, we look at the rhetoric, Panarin, Duchesne, DeSingle, you name a player, Seth Jones now, they had a chance to stay in Columbus and they didn't. Right. So before this guy really holds all the leverage, let's just pay him now. And they did with that six-year deal. They also gave him a no-move clause in years two, three, four, and five and a 10-team trade list in the final year of his deal. That will be a contract year, and you'll be a free agent by the end of it. Uh, And in the first three years, he's getting paid at least $10 with the highest being 12 in year two. Um, So a lot of money to dish out to this guy. But, you know, for the most part in those two to three years, Columbus will, again, still be trying to – find their way again and finding their way back to maybe not the top of the division, but at least the top three spots wild card at, at worst. And I definitely think they had the piece to do that. Zachary Wrensky is going to have to be a big part of that. Um, he is going to, he is going to be in, in, in a sense, the power play quarterback now that Seth Jones is gone. But now it's going to be interesting how his two-way ability factors into it because that was Seth Jones. Right. Seth Jones could kill penalties, and he could also log up the power play minutes and the even strength minutes. So with Seth Jones out of the mix now, who's going to take the bulk of the strength on the penalty kill? Can you trust Zacharinsky with that? Is most of those minutes going to go to someone like Gavrikov or Kukin or somebody else on, on the blue line? Um, that, that'll be interesting to see. But offensively, you know what you're going to get from Orensky. This is a guy that hit 40-plus points in three of his first five campaigns. This past year, he had 20 and 35. So taking out my calculator, 20 divided by 35 times 82 in a normal season, he would have 46.8 points around that to 47 that would tie his rookie season high and his career high to date, 47 points. Not too bad on a team like Columbus that, um, again, like I said, finished near the bottom of the league and had a very underrated offense for most of the year and went through a lot of off-ice stuff too. So, yeah, I, I, I think definitely Zach Wierenski is, is is worth the money, but I also feel like the situation – at play the bigger picture of people leaving Columbus that probably factored into the necessity to get Zach Wierenski locked up. And that could put Columbus in a tough spot if this doesn't go well. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, I mean, I think it's, as I just mentioned, I mean, I think, um, we'll, we'll end up seeing how, uh, how it ends up working out. I think Columbus is one of the true wild card teams because, like, they don't—they have a new coach. They have a bunch of, 
like rollover from the old team. Um, so it's like it's like I wouldn't surprise me if this team is a lottery team, but it also wouldn't surprise me if this team makes the playoffs and makes a serious run too. So it's um, it's kind of like we'll we'll see what what goes on. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of it will have to do on what Wierenski is able to do. So um, yeah, we'll we'll see how that goes. Um, all right, so now we're going to talk about the prospects. Uh, so this is a little bit interesting because uh, Columbus actually had three first-round picks this year, and we're actually going to talk about all three. Um, but because uh, technically, Kent Johnson is the best prospect. Uh, he had 27 points in 26 games for Team of Michigan. He's coming back again. By the way, I, th- I think we we didn't really mention it before, but Owen Power. And Matty Beneers and Kent Johnson have all said that they're going back to Michigan this year. I think that's like the first time that the first and second overall picks are going back to their original team, and um, so that that's and it's it's a good move for both of them and for Kent Johnson as well, because then they finally get like the experience of what college is like and um, all that stuff. And they you know they were kind of robbed of the playoffs. Uh, due to COVID, so they don't, they, and they should be even more dangerous because they have, like, a, you know, they have Luke Hughes now. Anyways, uh, so Ken, jo- uh, Ken Johnson is really their best prospect. However, we talked about him already um, in a previous episode when the draft happened. Uh, so I, I, I do want to talk about Cole Sillinger because he should also be pretty good um, as well. Um, he had... Um, he played in the USHL uh, this past year, uh, where he had uh, 24 goals in um, and 46 points um, in 31 games in the USHL for Sioux Falls. I believe that puts him um, as the most. Might be the. I have to look this up now. Um, let's see here. Um, he. Oh, I, I guess not. Um, I was just looking at the goals. Oh, he's ninth in he was ninth in goals in the USHL, uh, for in the USHL. But he only played in thirty one games, whereas like Matthew Coronado, who had the most goals in the USHL, he had fifty. He played in fifty one games, whereas Cole Sillinger only played in thirty one, and you know he kept on racking up the points. Um, yeah, for those of you who uh, don't bother doing math at home, 0.77 goals per game this year yeah, in the USHL for Colts Collinger. I actually hadn't realized that Matthew Coronado had 48 goals in 51 games. That's like 90%. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's yep. insane. Um, but uh But yeah, so Colts Collinger, he, uh, he also was in the WHL the previous year um, where he also had a lot of goals too. Um, 22 goals in 48 games, uh, but 53 points in 48 games for Medicine Hat. Um, yeah, it's, I, I don't know what his, it doesn't say on Elite Prospect what his plans are. He did just sign his uh, uh, entry-level contract, so that means I will at least see him in Columbus uh, at least in the uh, next three years. But, um, but in terms of like next year, I would imagine we'll see him um, probably going back to the WHL. I, I don't know why he would go to the USHL because that's 
um, not as good of a league as the WHL is. So, um, so yeah, I, I would be curious to see how he does in those, in that kind of league where it's like, it's clear that he can score. Um, but, uh, but it, it does seem like he needs more seasoning in his development. Yeah, and I, th- I think maybe he goes back to the WHL and, and gets a bit more of that seasoning. I think part of the reason why he went to the USHL was, again, because WHL didn't really get their season started until, like, March or April. Right. And he was just basically sitting around, not playing any hockey. Those 31 games with the Sioux Falls Stampede, basically the only type of uh, hockey he was playing the entire year. He wasn't involved with Team Canada at any events uh, this past year. It was just solely in the USHL, whereas in previous years, he played with the U-17 Canada White team. Um, In his, I think, official rookie season, the WHL, in that year, he had 53 points in 48 games, 22 of which were goals. So there's no doubt he can score in the WHL, too. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see where he goes from here, where he plays next year, but um, definitely one of the higher picks in the draft. And I think if you ask a lot of Sens fans, Sens probably should have taken him instead of Tyler Bruchet yep. because he went right after him. Yeah, that would have been a nice pick for them. Um, yeah, there's <laughs> sure a couple of guys. Him. Coronado is another one that the Sens could have taken. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk We'll talk about the Sens uh <laughs> decisions uh another time for sure for sure um i'll uh i mean i i i just like that signed by then i just like that the bruins are no longer i mean i guess people still make fun of the bruins for the 2015 stuff but um i'm just glad that there's a a newer version of like oh this this is not good (laughs) um okay so uh in terms of wild cards we usually i mean this the series really just started, but usually we don't do wild cards that were first round picks. However, um, I feel like Corson Coolman's is the exception for this wild card because you have to consider the fact that he played in uh, this past year. He played in uh, the AJHL, which is like the junior junior leagues in Canada, uh, where he only played in eight games and he had eleven points. In that uh, in that league, um, and he also played in the World Juniors in the under 18s, uh, where he had eight points in six games, um, and then uh, so there is some uncertainty, uh, just because like he wasn't even in like the CHL, he wasn't playing in the uh, USHL where a lot of these guys were, or the NCAA. He was just in a lesser league. However, uh, someone by the name of Kale McCarr also played in this league uh, his draft year as well. I don't know if you've heard of him, but uh, Kel McCarr is pretty good. Um, he also, I think he also played... Yeah, he played for the Brooks Bandits, He too. also played for the Brooks Bandits, too. Um, yep. So so it's, it's uh, definitely um, something to consider. Um, I, now, for the record, I don't think... Like, to expect Corson Coolmans to be the next Kel McCarr is kind of crazy. Um, in fact, it is crazy to say that, even though they did take the same <laughs> path. However, it is definitely, um, you know, like, it, it, and it's a small sample size, and I, I assume that's because of COVID stuff. Like, I'm looking at the AJHL, and a lot of them, like, played only, like, 20 games. So they only, 
They didn't even play a ton of games in the AJHL anyways. Um, and I assume he like took some time off from the world to play in the world juniors a bit. So, um, so that might have taken it off as well. So we didn't really see that much of him. Um, but he's going to play for Wisconsin this year. Um, however, Cole Caulfield and Dylan Holloway, who we'll talk about in a second, um, are not going to be on Wisconsin anymore. So it's like he's going to be the best player on Wisconsin now. Um, and, and just in terms of the future, yes, uh, we just talked about Jake Bean. We just talked about Adam Bockfist. But uh, Corson Kuhlman's, if he plays well enough in Wisconsin, um, he'll be, um, you know, it, it's exciting for, like, Columbus just from a defensive standpoint because – like, all of a sudden, you have uh, Wierenski, who's still pretty young. You have uh, Bockfist and Bean, who are pretty young. And then maybe in a couple of years, you have Kuhlman's in there. Um, and all of a sudden, you have, like, a solid uh, core for defensive uh, talent in in the mix there. So I, I kind of am looking forward to seeing what Kuhlman's can do in the NCAA this year. But... Um, but yeah, it, I, I just remember um, when the when it was the Bruins pick, I was hoping for Zach or LaRue, and I guess we'll talk about him when we get to Nashville, or Cor- this guy, Corson Kuhlman. So, um, so yeah, I, I think he could, he could end up being like a pretty good player for them. And what's interesting about this trio is that it would be, like, I could see it where, like, Cole Sillinger, Corson Kuhlmans, and Kent Johnson are all on the same team at the same time, as opposed to that 2015 team where uh, DeBrusque, uh, Seneshin, and Zaboral have yet to be on uh, uh, the same roster um, in the pros um, since they they were drafted. So, um, so, but it's definitely possible for these three. Yeah, although I will say the Ottawa Senators, we talked about them previously. They had three picks in 2011. They were Mika Zibanejad, Stefan Nason, and Matt Pumple. Zibanejad fortunately panned out. The other two didn't. True. So it's all about drafting and developing. I think you would agree that I think Ken Johnson and Cole Sillinger will pan out. I think Corson Kuhlman's could pan out as well. There are no guarantees, but you're right. Yeah, I think there's definitely a likelier chance. Uh, taking a look at his numbers with the Brooks Bandits, 35 points, 44 games, and then COVID canceled everything. And uh, this year in limited yeah, duty, that, yeah. 11 points in eight games, again, largely because of COVID. Um, I, I will mention, though, there are some other interesting names that uh, Columbus has. For example, Liam Foudy. Uh, they have in their system, too. Um and there's also this guy that really caught my attention, Tyler Ang, who was um, an OHL graduate. I believe he played a little bit uh, for the Windsor Spitfires. He's a center. Yep, Windsor Spitfires. So he played four seasons there. And he had four points in 41 games his first year, 17 and 67, 10 of which were goals in his second year. Uh, then he has 20 goals, 44 points in 58 games, 29 goals, 67 points in 62 games. That's his final year. This year, 
with the Cleveland Monsters in the AHL, and they're not really known for lighting it up offensively. He had 11 goals and 24 points in 23 games, so a point-per-game pace. He's a guy that I'm really interested to look out for just because his numbers weren't as electrifying as some of the other talents. They were definitely still good, no question. Um, but I think um, if you want to also look at like the definition of a true wild card, I definitely think Corson Kuhlmans fits that bill, but so does Tyler Ang. So if, yeah. if you're looking for future centers on the Blue Jackets, um, this guy might be worth uh, keeping an eye on as the season goes along as well, um, just based off of what he did in limited duty with Cleveland last year. Interesting. Yeah, I guess that's a, I'll, I'll file that away and, and I'll probably take yeah. him in one just, of my uh, my Just to keep your eyes peeled on this guy. Exactly. Um, I will also say that uh, a Yegar Chinnikov, uh, he was kind of like an out of um, – it was out of left field last year. Yeah, I remember the day he was drafted. It was yeah. just like, wait, who? But now it's <laughs> like I was looking at his stats when I was in preparation for this. It turns out, yeah, he's, he's he might be pretty good. So yeah. it's instead yeah. instead it's Jermo Kekalina being an absolute right, right, right. And, so and just taking every scout to school and just making them question everything. This is what <laughs> you have to hope that um, happens to Tyler Boucher, Steve. Is that like you just be like. <laughs> Just Jaeger, just mention Jaeger Chinnikov, and then everyone's just like, okay. <laughs> yeah. we, we although, although the argument is then going to be, well, you could have gotten him later because True. nobody else was going to take him. I mean, they they said the same thing about Chinnikov, though. So yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and they probably still will. They probably still will. Um, all right, so now we're going to Dallas. I just realized we're <laughs> an hour into the show so we should uh, probably far get for the going. course eh? yeah, far course, for the course. course uh but we should probably get going uh so okay. the first move uh in terms of additions dallas actually just had two kind of moves here um it was ryan Suter, um who signs a four-year deal uh i had it over here okay it's four-year deal 3.65 million um to go there. Um, yeah, this was, what's interesting about this is that Ryan Suter is 36 years old. Um, mm-hmm. I remember cause like, you know, back when this was happening, cause this was like last month or so I was thinking like, Oh, the Bruins should go out and get Ryan Suter. And then I saw the, the contract. I was like, Oh, never mind. Um, I think it's, <laughs> it's, it's just like, it's interesting too, because Ryan Suter was bought out cause he still had like four years left. Um, but, uh, so he still makes up the amount of, of money that, uh, he was paid, uh, from that contract, but it's just on a different team, uh, slightly, I guess, slightly less. It's not like 7 million like he was making, but still not bad from that perspective, but still at the same time, it's like Ryan Suter's 36 years old. I could see this not ending well. (laughs) Um, and it's not that Ryan Suter is like terrible and and all that stuff it's just uh the fact that he's 36 years old um they still have like Miro Heiskanen in in the mix they it's it's just um I don't know it's not the best deal like I could have seen like a two-year deal I would have been okay with that um I don't know I, I I don't like this contract at all I think it was definitely a good bargain contract if it was a two-year deal right I think the term is too long. 
But I think if utilized properly, he could still be a good player for them. Like, look at look at this, for example. 48 points in 69 games in 2019-2020. I know 19 and 56 isn't going to do it this year. Totally fine. But still, 57 points in a full 82-game pace, not bad for a guy that's in his mid to late 30s. And during that year, he was averaging 24 minutes and 38 seconds of ice time per game. In the years prior to that, Going by most recent, he averaged 2642, 2647, 2655, 2836, 2904, and 29 minutes on the nose. And even after, and even before that, it was around like typically going on the up and up 25, 26, 27 minutes per game. So this guy can still log a lot of minutes at his age. And you look at this team with Essa Lindell, with John Klingberg in a contract year, with a young Miro Heiskinen that is probably only going to get better, with Yanni Hakenpah, who can really lower the boom. I think he's probably the closest thing to a bargain replacement for Jamie Alexiak as you're going to find in this league. I think overall... Dallas's defense could surprise a lot of people, and Ryan Seward could play a huge role. Um, I don't like the term, again, like I said in the deal, but I definitely think getting Ryan Suter is a pretty good move for Dallas just because at his age, he can still deliver at the NHL level. Yeah, I, I think I'm more, like, I, I should reiterate, I, I think I'm more concerned about the con, like the length of the contract than the actual... Mm-hmm value of it but yeah um, but if, if you yeah. if like you think ahead in four years time you'll be 40 years old like, right exactly that's that's a lot yep uh the other questionable move that dallas added but we we're going to talk about it is Braden holpe he signs um uh, with dallas for one year at two million so it's not like terrible uh, however uh when you look at, at uh his stats um, in Vancouver this past year, he went uh, 7, 11, and 3. He had a save percentage of 0.889, save percentage, and a 3.67 GAA. By far his worst season of his career. Um, it's also kind of like, you know, obviously we know what he's capable of because he was, you know, in Washington for 10 years. Um, he even won a Vezina a couple years ago, too. So, um so we, we, we do know what he's capable of, but at the same token, it's like those, those numbers are terrible. Um, and, um, and also on the same end, uh, Anton Kudobin's there. Jake Edinger played a little bit this year. We, he's still, like, he was decent. Um, and then you also have Ben Bishop. And um, I, I think maybe this move just signifies that uh, Dallas isn't sure what they have in Ben Bishop because he's, you know, Bishop's not playing for, um, you know, he hasn't played in a full year uh, just yet. So, so maybe they're, they're thinking that like Ben Bishop may be uh, gone for another year or they're just going to keep on putting him in on, on LTIR or something like that. But, um, but yeah, it's just, uh, it's kind of strange to, uh, to make this move, but I mean, I guess they're just hoping that Brian Holtby will return back to what he was in Washington. 
my whole analysis when I saw that Braden Holby extension is okay, who's injured and who's getting moved? Right. <laughs> like you have four capable NHL goaltenders. And if you bring in Braden Holby to give Jake Enger more seasoning in the AHL, in my opinion, that's nonsensical. Jake Ettinger is ready to be an NHL goalie, and he is ready right this second. And he showcased it multiple times right. throughout the course of the year. He was Dallas's, I would argue, he was better than Hugh Dobin last year. Yeah. And you, you take away the shootout losses, his record's much better. Um, I like the GAA, the save percentage. There's more room to grow in both of those areas. And he's a very cool, calm, confident young goaltender. I, I don't really see why you would delay any further NHL success by bringing in Braden Holpe as a stopgap measure for a yep. year. It's there, there has to be some issues with Ben Bishop's health or they're going to part ways with Anton Hudobin pretty soon. Because otherwise, there's no reason why you go out and get Braden Holpe if, if, if you think Jake... Edinger is a capable NHL goaltender right now, which I think he is. Yeah, I think so too. For the record, uh, Jake Edinger went 11, 8, and 7. He had a, mm-hmm. a save percentage of 9, 11, and uh, a GAA of 2.36. Um, he's also 22 years old, where uh, Hopi is uh, 31 years old, Bishop's 34 years old, and Kadovin is 35 years old. So um, so he's significantly younger than the other three as well. Um, but yeah, so I, I agree with you. I, I think it, it makes no sense. I would lean to believe that Bishop is just like more injured than we think he is, even though he, you know, we think he's pretty injured. So, so maybe that, that's probably why they ended up doing it. But yeah, it, it doesn't even make sense. Even if Bishop was doing well, I agree with you. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, that, that part's a little bit strange. Um, in terms of subtractions, Jamie Olesiak was the Seattle pick. Oh, by the way, for Columbus, we didn't really talk about it, but Gavin Bayreuther was the Seattle pick for Columbus, but he ended up resigning with Columbus, so it wasn't really a subtraction. Um, <clears throat> Dallas also ended up losing Jason Dickinson as well. Um, and they also the, lost, uh, they also lost Cogley and Ota San Jose in free agency. Yeah, He's gone to. too. Um, but they ended up getting a 20, 21 third round pick. Um, and they ended up drafting Artin Martino, who actually might be pretty good for them too. Uh, some, sometime down the line. Um, Typical so that Vancouver gives away a future NHL star. Basically, yeah, it's, it's probably going to happen. Yeah. Um, What's also interesting, I'm looking at their trades here, is uh, they traded uh, their, Dallas traded their 15th overall pick to Detroit so that Detroit could select Sebastian Cosa, but then uh, Dallas ended up getting three picks uh, from Detroit in that deal, um, and they got uh, Wyatt Johnson, who was a first-round pick, um, Jack Barr, who was a fifth-round pick, and Artan Grushkinoff. Gershonov, which was a second round pick, uh, so they ended up uh, doing well there. Anyways, that's a side. We're sidetracking here, um, mm-hmm. and then um, in terms of resignings, Miro Heiskanen, we kind of already talked about him uh, when it happened. 
Um, in terms of prospects, uh, I guess this is another one where, like, I guess for all four of these teams, there's like, it's kind of a debate on who's the actual best prospect. Uh, Thomas Harley was um, a good, he should be in the league probably this year. Um, he did pretty well in Texas, um, the affiliate, uh, where he had uh, 25 points in 38 games. He also played a little bit in the World Juniors where he had one goal in seven games. So um, so he, we should probably see him sometime in Dallas. However, I did want to talk more about Maverick Bork, um, who was the draft pick last year. And he's probably a few years away still, but um, he was pretty good um, uh, this past year. He had um, he played for Shawnigan um, in the QMJHL where he had 43 points in 28 games. That's a roughly like a, I don't know, that's a little bit less than a point, one point per game. It's like one or two points per game. That's like 1.9 something. Um, so, so that's pretty good. Um, and then he even played a little bit in the AHL uh, where he had five points in six games. Um, I, I think I was just more impressed by that fact that, like, yes, it's a small sample size, but at the same token, like, like it, it's clear that this guy still has some skills. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see him in, uh, in Dallas uh, sometime in this year, um, whether that's, like, midseason. We'll probably won't, he probably won't make the opening day roster, but we could we could potentially see him sometime this year. Um, also, something to note with Dallas, and I, I kind of forgot to mention this, but because Maverick Bork is a center, um, and he might play some right wing as well, but because he's a center, um, uh, like if we do see him in Dallas, um, it's, it's pro- we'll probably see him as a center. But like Tyler Sagan's coming back, uh, Alex Alexander Radulov is also coming back, um, so so Dallas kind of like took a took a turn like they missed the playoffs. It was a disappointing season, um, but like Jason Robertson um, had like was the runner up for the Calder, and then they didn't have Tyler Sagan. They didn't have Radulov for most of the year. So Dallas, you know, they could end up becoming a pretty good team, um, but I, I'm kind of all over the place. So, so what do you have on Maverick Bork? And maybe talk about what I just said about uh, Sagan and Radulov coming back. So his first uh, QMJHL season, he had 54 points in 64 games, 25 of which were goals. Ups the goal total slightly in his second year to 29 in 49 games. So his goals per game went up. His points per game also shot up dramatically 71 points in 49 games 29 goals 42 assists and then as you mentioned brett this year 43 points in 28 games 19 of which were goals so the goals per game is uh, steadily increasing year by year in the queue five points in six ahl games brett that's 0.833333 points per game thanks for doing that um Either way, again, for your first six AHL games um, with basically up and down experience in the queue because COVID, again, ruined everything this year, um, five points in six AHL games is pretty good. 
Yep. Uh, especially for a guy um, in his late teens, early 20s. He's 19. Uh, I definitely think there's room to grow for this kid. Maybe he competes with Team Canada at the World Juniors um, this coming year as well, um, if eligible. Uh, I'm pretty sure he is. Yeah, um, he's, he's 19. So I, I, yeah. And he turns um, so, 20 in January of 08, so – or January 8th. So, yeah, his, he'll, he'll – Yeah, be so he'll, he'll be eligible. He'll yeah. Be eligible. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of interesting, um, young talent coming out of Dallas because we saw the evolution of Rupe Hintz. We saw the evolution of Jason Robertson and the Calder season that he had. There's also, you have guys like uh, Riley Damiani in the system. That's really caught my attention. Tied to Landria to, uh, Jordan Kawaguchi, who had uh, a pretty solid season, uh, with North Dakota this year. They have a lot of underrated uh, forward prospects, um, as well as Thomas Harley on the back end, too. So I'm really interested uh, to see what the youth movement has in store for Dallas. They're definitely going to need that youth movement because as the veterans like Pavelski and Sagan and Jamie Benn start to age, those young guys not only are going to be thrusted into primetime roles, they are going to be relied heavily to deliver in those big moments. So um, the the young kids hopefully are, are able to soak that in and keep on developing because uh, soon they're going to be the focal point of this star's offense. Yeah, the thing that uh, I didn't really mention, but I, I'm kind of impressed by for Maverick Fork is the fact that he's like 5'10", um, which I imagine is why he was, uh, like he, he took some... Uh, he fell in the draft, but um, yeah, it, like when you look at his numbers, it's like they don't really lie. It's like they, he's, he's still putting up points, and for the most part, like even though he, he is shorter than usual or the average person, he's still probably pretty good. So, um, so yeah, it's it's impressive that he's able to to do that, um, and and we'll see how he does in the pros. Um, in terms of a wild card, um, you kind of alluded to it, but uh, the Dallas actually had a pretty good draft. Um, but um, and I think Victor even mentioned this when we were talking about it in the draft. But uh, they drafted this guy in the second round named Logan Stinkoven, um, and uh, he, he he it looks like he's going to be pretty good. Um, he's a right winger, um, but uh, he played for Cam Loomps. Um, he only played in six games, um, and he had uh, seven goals in those six games, um, and he had three assists. He also played in the under uh, 18 World Juniors, uh, where he, similar numbers, where he had uh, se- in seven games, he had four goals and four assists, so that's eight points in seven games, um, and he was the assistant captain there. Um, so. Um, the other, the only knock on him, it seems though, and I'm trying to f- figure this out, was why did he even slip all the way in the second round? He's five eight, so that's basically like a Cole Caulfield type effect. Um, so the reason why I have him as a wild card is like this has the potential to be like an Alex DeBrincat, Cole Caulfield type situation where teams are passing on him based off of size, and then they're gonna live to regret it. Um, very, very, very soon. Um, so, um, so yeah, it, it looks like he's going to be a pretty good player, but of course, like his size will always be like a detriment, 
Um, and it was the big reason why he was uh, he fell so far. But Dallas may have ended up with a steal. Um, and we'll, we'll end up seeing if, if that ends up working out. Yeah, taking a look at some of the stats that he put up uh, in the WHL with the Kamloops Blazers. Yep. Um, got a little taste of WHL in 2018-19. That year with the Thompson Blazers. He had a whopping 49 goals and 101 points in just 38 games. Um, so this is a U18 league. Not not bad. Not bad at all. No, um, not bad. And then you look at his rookie year in the WHL. Um, 29 goals, 48 points in 59 games. Pretty solid goal total. Pretty solid point production for a rookie. Then he has seven goals and 10 points in six games. So over a point per game, over just over a goal per game this year with Kamloops. Overall, I think uh, if you look at the five foot eights, what really makes them successful, I think, and it has to make them successful, is their drive and their compete level. Because that's the kind of stuff that you can't teach in just any hockey player. These are the guys, I think, with chips on their shoulders, with a lot of things to prove, a lot of people they want to prove right. And I'm sure a lot of people that uh, would love to just stick it to their face. <laughs> so um, I'm pretty confident that uh, Stan Coven uh, can fight for a roster spot and compete, maybe land a roster spot as well. Um, and maybe become a, a future goal-scoring contributor. I don't know what his ceiling is at the NHL level. It'll definitely be something worth mon- uh, definitely will be something to monitor as the years go along. Um, not really sure what he's going to be at this rate, but I definitely think I would say his chance of an NHL future. I I, I go with sixty percent at this rate. No. Yeah. I. Yeah. I, I feel like it's. I feel like in this league now, like it's there's less of a focus on like toughness and physicality and more on like speed and and agility, and that's when like these smaller guys like Johnny Gaudreau, um, you know, even Braden Point, uh, you know, we just mentioned Caulfield and uh, Cat, like they all. Like, that's where they can excel and, and exceed, but, like, they probably wouldn't be able to survive when uh, everyone was hitting and, and fighting and stuff. So um, mm-hmm. I think that that's a big part of it. But, you know, if you are a short NHL player, you have to, like, be an excellent skater. You have to be, like, the fastest guy on the ice. And um, so that's going to be the, the determining factor on if he can translate into the NHL if he's fast enough. And hopefully he is. We'll see. Um, all right, let's go to Detroit here, our next team. Uh, see, we're kind of like, uh, we're moving along here. Um, so uh, we're going to start off. We kind of talked a little bit about most of these guys uh, last week uh, because in terms of additions, um Delkovich, he was a uh, Carolina, uh, he was from Carolina, who was a player we got last, or we talked about last week, a team we talked last week, uh, Pew Suter um, from Chicago, and that was a team we talked about last week, and Nick Letty, although I guess 
Uh, that was from the Islanders, and we'll talk about that team in a, in a little bit. But uh, we did mention that uh, Hugh Suter and Nadelkovich were going to um, Detroit. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was uh, – I mean, we kind of – when we mentioned those two players, we kind of said it like Stevie Y kind of did a very, very good job. Um, he's – like, yeah, they haven't won a lot this year. Um, even the Jacob Verana, uh, Anthony Mantha t- trade, um, you know, he was he was uh, kind of applauded for. Um, and, uh, yeah, it seems like even though it, we haven't seen it just yet, uh, Stevie Y might be a, a pretty good GM, I think. <laughs> um, we'll, 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 uh, we'll see. But uh, Nedeljkovic last year, uh, he ended up, with a 15, 5, and 3 record, with a save percentage of 9.32, and a save and a GAA of 1.9, um, and the fact that uh, Carolina wasn't willing to pay him, let alone trade him, um, is the craziest thing. I feel like we're going to look back and wonder why uh, Delkovich was even traded, um, but. It wasn't even that bad of a contract when I just told you those stats. Um, it's a two-year deal for, worth three million each, um, and that's that's like you know with someone who like got the Calder nomination or third place votes um, in in the Calder, like you know that's pretty good. And um, you know Detroit, I guess one of the weaknesses in Detroit just from their future standpoint is. They have wingers, they have centers, um, and they have some defense as well, which we'll get into in a second. They don't really have. They didn't really have like a goaltender. Um, they end up getting Sebastian Kosa in the draft, but like Nedeljkovic should be still a pretty good goalie, um, and uh, something that could help them win a few games um, on his own uh, this coming year. Yeah. What I find interesting about Nadolkovich's journey is that he's found a way to win in a lot of different markets. Um, he's found ways to find success in Carolina. Obviously, this year emerged into a solid, capable number one NHL goaltender, in my opinion. And before that, uh, you mentioned that he was nominated Brett for the Calder Trophy. Um, at the very least, in the hunt for the Calder Trophy, for the most part. He won the Calder Cup a few years ago. Yep, good point. The AHL Trophy. He won the AHL Playoff Trophy with the Charlotte Checkers and was a very pivotal part in that run with the Charlotte Checkers. And then prior to that, in junior hockey, he was a pivotal part about the success of his team and how far his teams could go. He went on a conference finals run with a team that drafted him right out of the start. And then he went on an OHL Finals run with the Niagara Ice Dogs. And the team that he started out with was the Plymouth Whalers. If you're thinking, gee, where's Plymouth? In Michigan. Michigan's not new territory for Nadelkovich, folks. He's been there. He knows Detroit. He knows the market. And he's pretty stoked, uh, from what I heard, to play there. So it's not that Jonathan Bernier and Thomas Christ were a bad tandem. No. It's not that Jimmy Howard and Jonathan Bernier were a bad tandem. They needed a young goalie 
with number one pedigree to put this team over the top and say, it's time to win. It's time to learn how to win, to start winning, and keep winning. Nadelkovich, to me, is that guy. And on top of that, they have Sebastian Casa, a very talented prospect in his own right, that could work out if Nadelkovich doesn't. And maybe both of them work out, and you have a solid 1A, 1B tandem for many, many years to come. You're starting to see the youth movement take over. You're starting to see the geniuses of Steve Eisenman pay off. And you're starting to see the outlook of his team. It's more short-term now. Franz Nielsen had a year left on his deal. They bought him out. Danny DeKaiser, previously, um, well, he's he's entering a UFA year. It was just an Abdelkader. I always get DeKaiser and Abdelkader confused. I don't know why. <laughs> no, Maybe I, it's the way their last names end. I was about to say, <laughs> they have like similar last names, yeah. Yeah, but Abdelkader is the guy that previously got bought out. Yeah. Um, Darren Helm uh, left town. Um, Glenn Denning also left town. Um, uh, Jonathan Bernier left town in the trade for Nadelkovich, was probably going to leave anyway. Um, You also bring in guys like Ryan Murphy and and Nick Letty. Basically a bunch of short-term guys. Luke Witowski went to Tampa for a hot minute. Now he's back. But there's basically a lot of short-term options here. Right. In terms of defensemen with years remaining on their deal, there's Jordan Orsterle, who they just signed for two years. There's Gustav Lindstrom, who's under contract for two years. There's uh, Wyatt Newpower, who's under contract for two years. Um, And that's it. All the rest are one-year-left UFAs. That would be Nick Letty, Danny DeKaiser, Mark Stahl, Troy Stetcher, and Philip Aronik is currently in RFA right now, waiting to get paid. In terms of their forwards, the guy with the most term, it's a t- its a tie, Jacob Verena, Michael Rasmussen, who Steve Eisenman just recently signed, two three-year deals. Yeah. Dylan Larkin and Tyler Bertuzzi and Pius Suter and Adam Ernie have two years left on their current deals. Ernie and Suter were recently signed, so was Bertuzzi, and Larkin was signed a couple of years ago by Ken Holland. That was probably one of the final moves that he made in his final years as GM. The rest have one year left on their deals. So you're looking at a very short-term team with a lot of cap space. Currently, the Red Wings have, let's see here, $19.427 million in cap space to work with. They're probably not going to spend it all, but... They have the basis of, okay, here are the guys that are probably going to be around for the long haul. So we're going to look at them. We're going to see if they still fit. There are guys on the fence. Maybe they still fit. There are guys that are probably going to be traded for futures. So the rebuild isn't completely done. I still think there's going to be some more selling to do. But as the young guys start to get integrated into the lineup, and Stevie Wise's plan starts to come to fruition, you're going to see the results start to flow in fast and furious, yep. like they did in Tampa Bay. And I don't think it's going to happen this year, but now you're starting to see them bring in pieces. So significant pieces where you're like, okay, these are guys that we're going to win with this year, we're going to win with next year, and many years to come. Yep. And this was a key 
offseason for those reasons for Steve Eisenman. And did they benefit off of some boneheaded decisions from GMs in the cases of Nadelkovich and Pius Suter? I think so. I don't know why they were on the market to begin with. But Steve Eisenman got their hands on them, and I think they're going to do great things for the Red Wings. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, that was a good summary of, of Detroit there. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I agree. I think when you started it, I, I thought you were going to say it's like they're a contending team all of a sudden with the addition of Nadelkovich and they're ready to win games. It's just like, well, I wouldn't, I would hold your horses on that front just for the moment. But they do. I would, I would like to see the weak points in the division before I make that prediction, exactly. and I haven't seen them yet. Exactly. So, so I, I was going to push back on that, but you kind of, uh, <laughs> you, you, um, you redeemed yourself there. So, um, so yeah, it's I, I, I don't think they're like ready to compete with the Tampa's, the Toronto's. Fine, I'll put the Boston in there too, but um, uh, in their division. But I agree that they are definitely like going to be like a bubble team this year. Like it wouldn't shock me a whole lot if they end up getting one of the wild card spots or something like that. Um, and um, and a big part of that is because they ended up getting Nadelkovich. Uh, they did get Hugh Suter, who I think will help them a lot. Uh, he had 27 points in 55 games for Chicago, um, which isn't bad. Um, and then Nick Letty, he's not a, a terrible defenseman either. That uh, the Islanders somehow gave up on or traded away uh, just before the Seattle um, expansion draft. He had uh, 31 points in 56 games. I know he's 29 years old, but or he's he's about 30 years old, but like you know he provides some experience to this team, but um, but yeah, I, I still feel like he he could uh, make some noise in in Detroit, and we'll see how that goes. Um, and yeah, but I I think they're definitely in the right direction, but I still feel like there are a few years left uh, before like we see them actually make. Uh, legitimate shots here. Um, I also, I, I feel like I've been waiting for like the Zadina breakout year. Uh, he's going to be an RFA next year. I, I feel like this is going to be the time when Zadina actually breaks out. I, I just have a feeling that's, I'm One just going to call it. Now. I'm just going to, I'm just going to call it right now. Zadina is going to break out. Um, yeah. Some, some of my off-season predictions, I predicted it doesn't happen, and then exactly yeah. a year from then, it happens. Yeah, basically, like, I, I said, uh, I think last year I said that New Jersey was going to break out, but I feel like you should know, I'd say New Jersey's going to break out every year, so I feel I like... I think one year I had Taylor Hall as a breakout performer, and he did all right, but wasn't a breakout performer. Yeah. And then the next year, he won the Hart Trophy as right. the MVP. So. But now, like, I think that New Jersey is going to break. Like, I, I don't think that New Jersey is going to break out this year. But now this is going to be the time when they actually do break out. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Exactly. So um, let's go to uh, the prospects here. Um, actually, speaking of breaking out, I think... Um, this is another one where it's like a toss-up of who's actually the best prospect. Um, I think Moritz Seider is actually going to be the best prospect. Uh, he had 28 uh, points in 41 games in the SHL, the Swedish Hockey League, which is a professional hockey league. He's only um, 
20 years old um, and he's, you know, he's about to play in Detroit. Uh, so, like, they're going to add a, a, a defenseman that's going to be pretty, pretty good. I remember when he was drafted, we were all pretty skeptical of, of this because we, we weren't sure of, like, his offense. But his offense came up, apart, and uh, and now he's, um, you know, I think he's, he's probably one of the top prospects. He's probably, like, I would imagine Zegris and Caulfield and maybe Marco Rossi will be the three Calder guys or the, the favorites. But uh, I wouldn't be shocked if we see Cider in the mix in the Calder at the end of the year. But the actual best prospect uh, to talk about is uh, Lucas Raymond. Um, and he was also in the Swedish Hockey League this, this past year. Um, and he had 18 points in 34 games. That's six goals and 12 assists. Um, he also uh, played in the World Juniors for Sweden, where he had five points in five games. Um, and I guess he's set to play in Grand Rapids um, this next year, according to Elite Prospects. Um, uh, just like judging by his numbers, it seems like he, even though he's a winger, which like wingers usually shoot a lot more, um, it seems like he's going to be more of like a passer than he is a shooter, which is, like, there's nothing wrong with that, but um, it, it is a little bit interesting because it, may, it makes him like less exciting. But at the same time, he is pretty, um, you know, consistent. He kind of like, you can always pass the puck, you know, sometimes when you're a scorer, it's kind of harder to get going because you have to shoot the puck and, and do it that way. But if you can like, yeah pass the ways that a playmaker can like like this winger is that's like a, a good skill to have in the in the NHL so um it could end up working out for him um I do wonder if like because I feel like maybe Zadina is going to break out wonder if like maybe in the next year when Zadina and Raymond are on the same line and like Raymond starts passing all these pucks to Zadina and, and Zadina scores and stuff like that. So there's potential where you have like a, a passer with a, with a shooter. So, so we'll see. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a tough situation to evaluate because with Mort Sider, he had 22 points in the AHL. Um, I think it was in 49 games before he went to Europe, largely because, again, COVID messed with everything. Yeah. Um, whereas Lucas Raymond hasn't made that North American transition yet, and Morris Sider has at least played a little bit in the North American brand of hockey. So I'm going to hold off my judgment to like fully say what he's capable of in the, NH in the NHL until I see him in North America. But based on all the accounts... Detroit is a team that needs help everywhere. They don't care if Lucas Raymond plays left wing, right wing, down the middle. They don't even care if he's a goalie, I'm sure. Just get the best players available to help you guys, to help this team contend and to be good again. And I definitely think Sider has the, the tools, the characteristic, the talent um, to be that defining character. At, at, at worst, I think he can be a second-line threat. I think at worst, he can be a second-line threat. Uh, best, obviously, a consistent first-liner. But I, I, I definitely see him as, as a top six 
uh, at worst, worst, worst case scenario, um, a fringe second line, third line guy, but definitely has all the tools to be an NHL ready player for years to come. Yeah, for sure. Um, in terms of, oh, I also forgot to talk about the subtractions Detroit had. Dennis Chalowski, uh, it was the Seattle pick. I feel like they'll, they probably won't miss him too much. He didn't even play in Detroit, even though he's like a 24 year old. Um, it was interesting the way that they handled him. Uh, but yeah, he's going to Seattle. They may end up regretting it cause he could like, he has potential there, but who knows? Uh, Bernier, we talked about, is also there. And Franz Nielsen, who Steve talked about, was bought up. So um, I forgot to mention that as well. Oh, and uh, re-signs uh, Jacob Verana and um, gets signed for a three-year deal, $5.25 million. And then um, Tyler Pertuzzi gets a two-year deal, $4.75 million. Um, and those aren't, you know, those aren't two bad contracts. They're pretty short. Um, and stuff like that, but it could end up working out for them. Um, I don't know if, do you have anything on what I just said or, I mean, you kind of already mentioned the subtractions, but what about the resignings? I think the hype around Jacob Brain is real. He's going to be a key fixture in the top six for Detroit for the foreseeable future, not just, um, in the next three years, but beyond that. Tyler Bertuzzi is going to be an interesting situation to watch unfold uh, just because of how the negotiations went. Um, there are rumors that uh, Toronto was going to go after him. I think Detroit um, got a fair amount of return for Anthony Mantha after watching that return. If Bertuzzi doesn't want to stay in Detroit, they could get not a king's ransom for Bertuzzi, but definitely some formidable pieces to help with their rebuild moving forward. Um, so they did the right thing by keeping Bertuzzi. And the worst case scenario, if he doesn't stick around, then you flip him for guys that want to be in Detroit, want to play in Detroit. Not to say Tower Bertuzzi doesn't want to play in Detroit, but there are, got, there are teams out there that are miles ahead of Detroit and will be for years to come in terms of winning the Stanley Cup. And contending for a Stanley Cup even. And Bertuzzi might have given all he could to the Red Wings and maybe he feels that you know, after these two years that his hockey career goes elsewhere just because of the situation. Like, everyone wants to probably play for the team that drafted them, but sometimes things happen. Sometimes yeah. you go into rebuilds. Sometimes the directive from ownership changes. Sometimes you don't like the direction from ownership and um, sometimes you, you're not a fan of the coach or the, or the GM. It's nothing personal towards any, any particular person um, or a particular fan base or anything like that. Things change. And as human beings, people uh, adapt to change uh, in, in different ways. And I think... Um, I, I would say it's a it's a coin toss as to whether or not Bertuzzi decides to commit to the Red Wings or go elsewhere. Um, but I I would be hesitant to say that he'll be in it for the long haul without seeing how these two years play out. I think Verena's more likely to stay than Bertuzzi by a long shot. 
Yeah, that's a good point. I don't. I wasn't really thinking of the fact that they're gonna trade him, but like the fact that it is such a short term contract does make it easier for them to move if need be. And you know, it, it's not unheard of for Stevie Y to deal to make these kind of trades because like he did the same for Anthony Mantha um, a couple months ago. So we'll see. Um, all right, and then I, I know we were out. All, I kind of messed up, so. Uh, we're out of order from the Detroit standpoint, but now we're back on schedule. A wild card prospect. Um, it was interesting because I was trying to find like a, an interesting wild card spot. I think you you did present a good one, but I was trying to like think of like I was just doing my due diligence and I found. I don't know how I missed this guy. So full kudos to you for getting this. <laughs> yeah, thanks. No, it's crazy because then because like I almost missed him too, um, and I uh, so I just looked at. Um, and I, I was, uh, so the wild card is uh, John, Jonathan Berggren. Um, and, um, yeah, he was a second-round pick in 2018. Um, and I, uh, I was just, like, looking at his stats. I was just, you know, I, I keep on paying attention to different, like, team prospect stuff. So I was like, ooh, this guy could be interesting. And then all of a sudden I noticed that he had 45 points, in 49 games in the Swedish Hockey League, um, and I and he's 21 years old, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. And then I looked at um, just I just was curious to put that into perspective. The point uh, the point getter in the Swedish Hockey League this year was a guy named Amerik Hervik, um, who had 51 points in 44 games, um, and he's probably like. I would guess he's like 28 years old or something like that. Um, but uh, Bergeron was uh, seventh on this list of the of, in points in the Swedish Hockey League. Again, we've mentioned this all the time whenever we talk about Swedish Hockey League players. Um, it's a professional hockey league. So it's like, oh, uh, this guy Hervik was, uh, is a 30-year-old. So, so even more so. So like these are guys that are all professional leagues. Um, so, like, Swedish Hockey League is a very tough league to score a lot of points in. And the fact that he was able to, like, almost be a point-per-game player in that league um, at a 21 years old just shows that he could be pretty good um, in the NHL. Or, like, it's a good sign that he's going to be pretty good in the NHL. Um, a couple of notes, though, it's like, you know, the year before that, he had 12 points in 24 games in the SHL. Um, and he, I mean, which isn't bad, but, like, it was kind of, like, interesting, I guess, to say the least. And then in the World Juniors that year, he did have five points in seven games for Sweden as well. So it's definitely, like, uh, it's, it's definitely the epitome of, like, a wild card where, um, he may not. We may not see him this year, but uh, but he could end up being like a, a top prospect, and that like only a couple of people who are in on prospects know about. Um, and and he could end up being pretty good. And that's one thing that Detroit made a trademark, right? during the Ken Holland years, during the Jimmy DeBolano years, when they had Steve Eisenman and Sergei Fedorov and Vladimir Konstantinov and Slav- Slavafesov and all of these guys, 
um, who they got through Russia or through the NHL draft, and sometimes both. These guys, not all of them were first-round picks. Some of them were diamonds in the rough, and Detroit was very, very good at picking out those diamonds in the rough and turning them into NHL players. Zetterberg is another prime example. Pavel Datsuk, another prime example. And those guys deliver consistently. Time and time again, they deliver for the Detroit Red Wings. And maybe this guy can do the same. Because I haven't seen too many instances in the in the Swedish Hockey League where young prospects light it up like that. Again, Brett, as you mentioned, the fact that he's 21 years old, had 40-plus points, 30-plus assists in a league amongst men, not often easy to do. Especially for a guy who, like you said, in, the, in his draft year was picked 33rd overall. So an early second-round pick. And that 2018 draft had a considerable amount of talent. Of course, Rasmus Dahlin went first overall. He had Sveshnikov, Kakaniemi, Brady Kachuk, uh, Quinn Hughes was there, uh, Adam Gilkvist was there, Joel Faraby was there. A lot of some, some, a lot of the guys that were on the first round of this list have already made NHL-sized impacts in. Um, in their short time across the NHL. Some of them are just getting their feet wet. Others have been in the game for a longer time. But I think in terms of wildcard picks, um, this this could be a very good get for the Red Wings if they play their cards right. Yeah, it's um, we'll end up seeing it if it works out in a couple of years, but they may have... Uh... Uh, snatch someone else. It's not like a Pavel Datsuk or a Henrik Zetterberg level because this guy was a second rounder. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, those are kind of like those are types that you need to to hit on. Um, you know, we talk. I mean, you mentioned Ken Holland, and that's a team we're about to talk about. But that's always been Edmonton's issue for a, a long time. It's been like they hit on the first round pick but they don't hit on the second, third, fourth round picks or fifth round picks or sixth round picks. So, um, and those are things that you need to have in order to be a successful um, hockey team is just hitting on those late round picks. And um, yeah, if, if it turns out that Bergen's a star in the NHL, then uh, yeah, Stevie Wise yet again another genius so we'll see although there's I, also two things i wanted to point out before we move along yeah uh, you can, uh according to cap friendly he can play center he can also play right wing so there's a bit yes. of versatility there also five foot ten weighs 183 pounds so not the biggest guy again like we mentioned with dallas yeah um a guy below six foot yeah good point uh, but he's not as short as the other guys we've mentioned before. Um, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, he's not five foot eight. He's not five like foot me. eight. Um, but um, actually, when did uh, Stevie Y become the GM? Was it in 2018? Because now that I think about it, he may not have drafted this guy. It was around the same time that Ken Holland became GM of the Oilers because I remember he took a different job in the Red Wings front office and might have been president. Okay. And then I don't even know if it was a full month later, it was a few weeks or a few months later, he took the Edmonton Oilers cake okay. that was available. Oh, so, okay, so uh, Ken Holland was the Oilers GM at, in 2019. 
So 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 yeah, he didn't draft. Uh, Yasmin didn't draft uh, uh, Bergeron, but it, it was a nice pick for sure. Um, all right, so now we are off to speaking of Edmonton, where we're talking about them now. Uh, their biggest move this year was um, well, I guess they did re-sign RNH and Tyson Berry, which and. Uh, nurse, which we'll get into in a second, but uh, their big, their other signing that they did was uh, Zach Hyman, um, and that was kind of a pretty big deal, um, or a huge deal. He had, I just had it here, and then I lost it. Um, why can't I find it? Oh, here it is. A seven-year deal uh, worth five point five million per. Um, what's interesting with this is that Zach Iman went from playing on a line with Austin Matthews and now he's going to another fully, you know, Mitch Marner, and now he's going to another stacked uh, forward group, uh, where his centers were either be, uh, Leon Dreisaitl or Connor, Connor David. Um, so the good news is that, uh, Hyman, you know, is, uh, had like, um, he's a he's a pretty good like goal scorer. He um, even though he had 15 goals in 43 games last year, but like the previous year he had 21 goals in 51 games. He also had 21 goals in 71 games the year before that. So usually, if I do my math right, I think that's like um, he's on pace for being like a 20. He was a 20 goal scorer last year. If it was a full 82 year. Oh no, wait. That would be, um, if he played, a, if it was an 82 season, he would have like 29 goals um, and, and like 66 points, basically. He By the way, before you get deeper into his stats, but I wanted to mention that in the first five years, he has a full no move clause. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> I mean, I, I assumed so you would mention that's the... part of the reason why there's backlash yeah. with the with the contract itself is that yeah he, he, you might not be able to trade him if you're trying to uh, if you're trying to move around cap space. And if I recall correctly, did I'm pretty sure Nugent Hopkins also got a yeah. Also, a no yeah, move in, clause. In, in Nugent Hopkins' case, it's all the way through. He's got a no move clause too. Yeah, interesting. So um, you're committing, you're committing like under just under six million to both of those guys per year, but you're not really giving yourself options if you need to move cap out the door. Right, especially when you have McDavid and Drysital um, being paid mm -hmm. huge. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess my point is, is and when I was dwelling into his points and his like stats, like yeah, he was playing on a line with Marner and uh, Tavares, and I actually don't know who his line mates were in Toronto, but I I think he was a top six player, and you know it, it's either a combination of uh, Tavares and uh, Nylander or Matthews and Marner. So either way, he's playing well. The good news is, though, that he's playing, like, in Edmonton, he'll be with, like, uh, McDavid or Dreisaitl. So he's going to have, like, elite uh, players on his line regardless. Um, and I think that's what Edmonton's hoping for. 
But yeah, you're right. With the, like the no movement clause, and we're about to talk about like some left wingers that the Edmonton Oilers have in their uh, prospect pool. It's like um, you kind of wonder like if because of that no movement clause, like you have to wonder what's going to happen with Dylan Holloway, what's going to happen with Carter Savoy, um, and like you know because then you have RNH and. Hyman locked up with a no movement clause and stuff where really um, it would be kind of, you know, maybe you should start to develop your prospects a little bit better. So we'll see. And we'll get into that in a second because when we talk about the prospects. But, um, but yeah, that is an interesting point. But, yeah, what do you have on Hyman and what do you think of the contract? I think the contract, again, with the strings attached, is a bit risky. It's also risky when you consider what happened with Milan Lucic when you signed his deal. And I'm not saying that Zach Hyman's going to be the next Milan Lucic, and that's going to age horribly. However, given the injury history, given the rough and tough tumble style of play that he puts forth on a nightly basis, I fear that as we get deeper and deeper into the contract, we're going to see some sort of offensive regression, even if he plays on the line with McDavid or on the line with Leon Dreisaitl. That's my fear with Zach Hyman. However, if you are getting Zach Hyman at that production level, a guy that can complement McDavid and Dreisaitl just as much, I think the risks slightly outweigh the rewards because of the way that he plays. Because... You see, Edmonton is the type of team that, yes, has a lot of skill, but they also need a guy that can grind in the corners, can get to the dirty areas, can lay the body, force the issue, force turnovers. And I think that's what Zach Hyman did very well in Toronto. He played that rough, sandpaper, gritty style of hockey that forced turnovers that allowed Marners and Matthews uh, th- uh, that, that allowed Marner and Matthews to get open space, to find the shooting lanes, um, to take their sweet time with the puck, where he goes to the net and he creates havoc in front of the net. You need a guy like Zach Hyman doing all the little things correctly so that guys like McDavid and Matthews and in Edmonton in, in, in this case guys like Drysdale, guys like Nugent Hopkins, guys like McDavid, uh, some of the younger players, to really excel at their strengths. And I think Zach Hyman can deliver that. But again, the no-move clause is probably going to be the deal-breaker if this deal goes south because of the situation that Ken Holland has created for the Oilers. And that's not Zach Hyman's problem. That's a Ken Holland problem. Ken Holland gave Ryan Nugent Hopkins a full no-move clause from start to frickin' finish in his eight-year deal that won't kick in, or actually will kick in this year. And and then Zach Hyman's seven-year deal, five of the seven years, there's a no-move clause there. By the time we get to that point where the no-move clause for Zach Hyman goes away, Connor McDavid will be a free agent. And the year before that, Dreisaitl will be a free agent. And those guys right now seem to be making bargain contracts. McTavid's making 12 plus million, so I don't right. know how you would call that a bargain. But he's, he's exceeding expectations as he usually does every year. 
The biggest bargain is Dreisaitl, who is getting $8 million per year and could easily, easily break the bank with uh, $10 plus million in his right. next contract. At least he gets $10 because he's just as valuable to the Oilers' success as McDavid. Yeah. And, and people might say McDavid is still the leading dog. If he is, Dreisaitl is not too far behind. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, he's he's definitely valuable. I don't think anyone's like underrating Dreisaitl. I, I think people are aware that he's pretty good. I will say, though, that like both of those contracts, it kind of does tamper their, like, the amount that they have. But, again, these are like the two best players in the world. Um, so, like, you need to have those guys. But it's just like managing everyone else on the team and making sure you have a good supporting cast. Um, I don't well, actually, yeah. And, yeah. And that's the, the supporting cast is while yeah. we're on the subject of that, you, you still have Zach casting in the picture. Yep. You bring in Warren Fogle, which I thought was a very, very, very good pickup. I don't know if Josh Archibald and Cal Turris have what it takes. Same with Derek Ryan, but you still have Jesse Pugliarvi. You still have guys like Kyle, Ryan McLeod yeah. and Kyler. Tyler Benson. A lot of the young guys that we'll talk about. You didn't even mention uh, Kyler Yamamoto. Um, yeah, Kyler Yamamoto that. too. Yeah, yep. you're you're gonna Although have a lot of the young guys yeah. that that we'll talk about in in the prospect part of um, of the offseason stuff with Edmonton. Right. Um, you're gonna see some of those guys in NHL gigs within the next year or two. I feel very confident in saying that, but. At, when it starts to get to the point where you're bringing guys like Brendan Perlini at the league minimum, and that's not a knock on Brendan Perlini at all, but it's just that you're you're if you're getting to the point where you're bringing in guys at very cheap value, that's where you start to burn yourselves because yeah. you're being limited to how you can improve this roster because of the contracts you already have, and that's what I fear is going to happen with the Oilers because as some of these guys on their entry-level deals start to perform and deliver, which I expect most of them will, and let's say Warren Fogle does the same, when uh, that three-year contract is up and, oh, he becomes a UFA, that $2.75 million cap it is going to go up. Right. Just like it would with a lot of the other RFAs and the UFAs before him and after him. So. Yep. That's 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 my concern with Edmonton is have they structured their team correctly? And I feel that's what most people are going to be asking because I definitely like what they've done with their offense in some areas. I just don't know if they've done enough improvement in the right areas, the yeah. areas that they need to improve upon to ensure they take that next step forward. And I think it all comes down to an understanding of what those areas of improvement are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get to that soon. Um, Duncan Keith, oh, we talked about as another addition. Derek Ryan, we talked about that last week, but he's like he will be a, a decent bottom six forward for them. Uh, Warren Fogle, you mentioned he was involved in that Ethan Bear trade, um, mm -hmm. and we talked about that last week too. Uh, but yeah, he's a good depth forward as well. Um, in terms of subtractions, um, Adam Larson is the, was the Seattle pick. Caleb mm -hmm. Jones, he was involved in that uh, Duncan Keith trade, um, so he goes to Chicago. Uh, Ethan Bear, again, he was involved in that Warren Fogle thing. And then Juajar 
Kiara, I think he's, isn't he in a New Jersey? Is that right? He went to Chicago. He went to Chicago as well. Okay. So, um, so yeah, those were subtractions. I feel like, um, like, I mean, we kind of talked about it before with when we were talking about the Duncan Keith trade, but it is interesting that they lose Adam Larson to Seattle. They lose uh, Caleb Jones and Ethan Bear in a trade. They probably aren't getting Oscar Clefbaum back. They do re-sign Tyson Berry, which should help, but um, it, I am concerned. I am back to getting concerned about their defense again because I'm not sure. I feel like they lost a lot of defensemen, um, and as good as Duncan Keith has been, I don't think he's going to be pretty good. Uh, or he's going to continue to like be good in his next two years when he's 38 and 39 years old. Um, and then we have this uh, Darnell Nurse re-signing stuff, and then you don't know what's, what's going to happen with Oscar Clefbaum. It's like, like okay, you have McDavid, you have Drysdale, but and your goaltending situation's kind of crazy too, but you go out and get Zach Hyman, um, and then it's like you're not really addressing the defense in a way. Um, or you're not addressing the goaltending. So, like, I feel like Edmonton could fall flat on its face because they didn't address the defense and they didn't address the goalies. And so that's that's the part where you're like, well, what what's what's going on? <laughs> so, um, so yeah. Um, to add to your to add to your point about the necessities, they also gave a four year deal with a three point two five million dollar cap to Cody freaking Cece. Oh yeah, good one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because they couldn't have a pure number one defenseman like Tyson Berry, they needed to have two of them. Right, right, right. Yes, that that's a crazy part. And um, both of them play on the right side. So, uh, so we're we're gonna have to talk about Darnell Nurse here. Um, so uh, he signs he uh, he resigns for, um, I guess he joins the defenseman trend here. Um, it makes me anxious for what uh, Charlie McAvoy is going to get, but he signs an eight-year deal. Thank God our sends linked up Thomas Shabbat, eh? Yeah, good point. Yeah, uh, he signs an eight-year deal at uh, nine point two five million. Um, so that's that's pretty crazy. Um, so already defensemen are young defensemen are getting paid. Uh, the thing with Darnell Nurse compared to like guys like Kale McCarr, Zach Wierenski, Seth Jones. Um, all, all those, like, Miro Heiskanen is like, yeah, Darnell Nurse is a good player. He's a good defenseman. But he's not on the same level as those guys. So it's just, like, strange to, um, like, and, and, and to his credit, he did have a good year this past year. He had 36 points in 56 games, 16 goals. Uh, he's also good on the defensive side of things. But, like, it's... Like, that, that was his best year by far. Uh, the previous years, he had 33 points. Uh, year before that, he had 41 points in 82 games. Um, so, uh, he had 26 points in his third year uh, in a full season. So, it's like, um, so, yeah, he did have a good season. But, like, to give him, uh, like, a, such a huge contract just on one good year um, is... It's pretty crazy to me, um, and especially on this Edmonton Oilers team, that they 
they need all the contracts that they can get. Like, like, cause they, they're paying uh, Connor McDavid 12.5 million. They are paying uh, Leon Dreisaitl um, 8.5 million per year. And yes, those two are worth it. I agree with you. Still a lot of money. So, um, so like, uh, like the GM need of the Edmonton Oilers always needs to be like manage their cap extra well just because they have those two guys um and they're worth that much but at the same token they can't be paying like darnell nurse 9.25 million per year uh because then there's glaring holes all, all over the place for them too so it's um so that that part's this this contract might be like even worse than the zach hyman trade uh signing because because uh, this is a longer term, and if Darnell Nurse isn't like doesn't replicate this season, or we don't see this type of Darnell Nurse again, this could be the worst contract of all time. <laughs> like even worse than the Jeff Skinner contract. It's just um, it, it it could actually make the Oilers miss the the like like not win a Stanley Cup when they have Connor McDavid. I mean, if you want to talk about worst contracts of all time, I think Ilya Kovalchuk and I mean, Sergei Bobrovsky and Rick DiPietro are certainly higher. Well, but well, well, for definitely up there. Well, for Kovalchuk's case, he, to his credit, he did make the Devils into the Stanley Cup Finals, so he did get in there. But yes, I, I do, yeah, I, I do know what you mean. And and and, I sh- and for the record, I should say that if. If uh, Darnell Nurse can be this consistently good, then yes, I agree, it is worth it. But at the moment, it's not. If he turns, if it turns into a Bobby Benilla style buyout, then yeah, yeah it's probably one of the worst. <laughs> right, 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 right. Of course, <laughs> that's the true measuring stick. Yeah. Um, you talk about holes on the team. I get that it's an overpay. However, you look at the fact they don't have Adam Larson anymore. You look at the fact they don't have Dmitry Kulikov anymore. And the fact that he left, probably not the worst thing in the world, but still a shutdown defenseman that the Oilers don't have enough of. And they traded away Caleb Jones. They traded away Ethan Bear. And they bring in Cody Ceci. Again, I'm sure they have their reasons. Yeah, it's a bad And they too. have a guy like Tyson Berry leading the league offensively, leading defensemen in scoring not even getting a single fifth place vote for the Norris because I'm sure a lot of people are just like, well, dry and McDavid were responsible for like 60% of those or something. Yep. So yeah, there are probably other defensemen worthy of votes than Tyson Berry. And again, you know, Tyson Berry is still a pretty good defenseman in his, in his own right, but not the complete defenseman that Darnell nurse is. So if basically your definition of a complete all-around defenseman is an aging Duncan Keith, and you let Darnell Nurse walk in free agency, I would argue that's even worse than overpaying for him. And I get it's an overpay. I wouldn't say Darnell Nurse is worth 9.25 or 9.5 million right now. He could be someday, but he's not worth it right now. But he is absolutely everything to that Oilers defense, and they needed to keep him at all costs. At, that, at the same time, 
they are going to have to find a way to fill those defensive pools because, again, I flash back to that final game of the Winnipeg series in triple overtime where look at Darnell Nurse's ice time and compare it to some of the others on the Oilers' blue line. There are two guys, I'm not going to say their names largely because I'm not going to name drop people. Also, I can't remember them off the top of my head. <laughs> but there were two guys in that triple overtime loss to the Jets. I believe it was game four. That was the deciding game of that series. Yep. They didn't hit 20 minutes of total ice time in that game, in a triple overtime game. And Darnell Nurse played 60-plus minutes easy that night. And was, like, double-shifted many, many times in that game. It, there was one overtime period where he played, like, three quarters of it. Yeah. Like, that can't happen. You need to give Darnell Nurse some help. Yep. He can't shore that defense all by himself. So all of a sudden, you take him out of that equation, and the Oilers are basically just relying on McDavid and Dreisaitl to run and gun their way for like seven or eight goals because they might be winning games like eight to six because they can't defend. They can't keep the puck out of the net. Yeah. And the one thing that we'll get to with their goaltending is, and this is probably the most annoying part about their goaltending, they had multiple options, multiple free agent options to pursue between the pipes. And their goaltending tandem hasn't changed, yep. period. And that's inexcusable. They didn't even trade for Darcy Kemper. They lost that, too. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. the goaltending is, could be an issue. I, I think Mike Smith was decent, though, to be fair. Um, so so maybe they he's hope decent, that he's... decent, but he's almost 40, and that's yeah, the problem. That is a crazy part. And they didn't they even draft... They don't have a goaltending prospect that they can lean well, on. Well, they do, they they do have... They have gotten with Jesper Wallstead, but they yeah. didn't. Yeah, they they traded uh, down um, so that they for some reason uh, and uh, drafted uh, Borgo instead. But uh, I, yeah, for the record, like yes, if if you continue to get what Darnell Nurse was able to provide um, this past season, then yes, I agree with you. Uh, he is worth that much money. But I, I still feel, I, I, I can see it that this is like, there's a potential that this could end up uh, impact, like making it impossible for the Oilers to win a Stanley Cup with Connor McDavid and Dreisaitl on the team. Um, and uh, the, if, if you are, if like Darnell Nurse just isn't good. So... So I, I, I think there is, like, it's probably one of the more risky, low-key one of the more risky moves um, in this off-season window, which a lot of stuff has happened in this off-season. So, um, yeah. so I, 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 I understand what you're saying, that, yes, they do need Darnell Nurse, and without him, they, uh, they're kind of screwed. But at the same time, it's like, so you go out and overpay for him, um, when you could just like you know spread the wealth a little bit, like you only have so much money. Not to mention the fact that they still have to sign Kyler Yamamoto, and they don't have that much money left. So they're gonna have to make something in order to sign him, or they could like trade him, I guess. But like <laughs> they still haven't signed Yamamoto, so it's like um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's a weird cap situation that I don't really understand from an Edmonton standpoint. 
Um, at one point, at one point, their problem was drafting and developing players, and now it's keeping them. Right, right, right. Uh, RNH, we talked the RNH contract. We talked about. Uh, you alluded to the Tyson Berry contract, but I'll I'll say it officially here: three years, four point five million. Uh, he was the highest point getter, um, but didn't get any uh, from a defensive standpoint. But he didn't get any Norris votes. Um, I think just people assume that it's like McDavid and Drysdale, and without those guys, uh, like the mm-hmm. Oilers are a lottery team, which is probably true. Uh, but um, but yeah, so the, that's the case there. Um, and then we'll go to the prospects here. Um, so Dylan Holloway, I think is. Uh, well, actually, I should mention that Evan Bouchard will probably, even though the Oilers do have defensive issues now, all of a sudden, uh, Evan Bouchard should be uh, playing in Edmonton, and he should be a, a pretty good player for them. Uh, he did have five points in 14 games last year. Uh, for them, um, and then he also played a little bit in hockey Alsvenskanen, which is like the junior league in Sweden, uh, where he had 17 points in 23 games. Um, he's more of an offensive forward, but yeah, he does have like like much in the same way as Mort Sider and Thomas Harley. He has the potential to be like a a, a good um, player for them, and and has the potential to maybe like make some. Maybe not be the Calder nominee, but he might get some votes um, if he plays well. Um, Dylan Holloway, I do want to mention, though, because I think he kind of... uh, He was drafted um, uh, when he was playing in Wisconsin. I even mentioned it in our draft preview. I don't know if you remember this, Steve. But I mentioned that Dylan Holloway is someone that uh, people uh, uh, teams might watch out for. Um, that, like, you know, could end up being really, really good. Uh, He had 17 points in 35 games his freshman year. Uh, Then the next following year, um, this is for uh, University of Wisconsin, so that's the same team that has uh, Cole Caulfield, by the way. Um, But the next year, he kind of, uh, he makes a, he he starts to really blow up. Um, In his sophomore year, he had, uh, 35 points, sorry, I just lost it here, 35 points in 23 games, um, and that puts him, let's see where that puts him actually, that would put him uh, fifth um, in college um, in terms of points. Uh, Caulfield does have, uh, led the league in points um, with 52, but um, but yeah, Dylan Holloway was, was uh, pretty close by. Um, it does make me wonder if, like, as, like, Caulfield was clearly very, very good, but it does make you wonder if, like, if Hollowell, Holloway was, like, how good can he be without guys like Caulfield, and he had Turcotte last year, um, like, how good could he be without those, like, guys, although, I guess, if he ever is in the pros, if it's this year or next year, I do wonder... If he'll like, you know, he may not ever have to worry about that because Drysaddle and um, McDavid, he probably will be on those lines. However, on the same token, uh, they do, the Oilers did sign um, uh, Hyman. They did sign um, 
RNH uh, to no movement clauses for five years. Um, and uh, of course, you have uh, McDavid and Drysidel at center. Um, so, and like those are his two positions, basically. So he's kind of blocked either way. Um, I guess maybe they move him to the right wing. Uh, so that there is some concern there where we may not end up seeing him on the top two lines uh, just because he's kind of blocked with those other guys, um, which is just a little bit interesting. But, you know, maybe he's a good trade trip or something like that, or he'll be a good depth piece for them eventually. Um, but, yeah, that that's... Um, but I, I, I do think that Dylan Holloway should be a pretty good player, um, and he'll probably be a pretty good depth piece, complementary player for uh, the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, and the thing about the Oilers and drafting and developing, we we chirped them relentlessly before, is that they can't draft and develop. Uh, sometimes they can't even do that in the first round. Um, and you look at all of the young, promising forwards that they have in the mix, and they're probably going to need every single one of them. Uh, of course, you look at Dylan Holloway and his numbers in his sophomore year. He had 24 assists. That alone is seven points higher than his rookie total. And uh, he had 11 goals on top of that. So, yeah, you're right. The dynamics with Caulfield uh, were, was something to behold, something to watch, and and something you couldn't get enough of as the season went along. The collegiate season – in particular, there were a lot of great teams, and I would think Wisconsin was right up there, largely because of that dynamic duo right. of Cole Caulfield and Dylan Holloway. And now you're going to put him in a situation where potentially, <laughs> you know, you got him on McDavid's line or Dreisaitl's line. Like, it's just like, okay, well, what can he do without McDavid and Dreisaitl? Who cares? If you put him on McDavid or Dreisaitl's line and he produces, yeah. who? it doesn't matter. Like, he's, he's doing his job. The Oilers are getting full value out of this guy. And there is, and it's not just him. It's guys like Tyler Benson that are in the mix. Um, and he's been a point-per-game player or closest thing to that in the AHL the past little bit. He had a lot of hype coming out of junior during his draft year. He was battling through injuries, I think, at one point, And that kind of hurt his stock. But I, I remember, like, this guy had top 10 potential in, the, in his draft year. And it, by all accounts, it seems that he's living up to that. He just hasn't gotten his full-time shot yet. Neither is Raphael Lebois, who was drafted a few years ago by the Oilers, too. And I think eventually, as the cap crunch starts to play the Oilers even further, in particular when Darnell Nurse's contract kicks in after uh, the upcoming season, you'll start to see a couple more of those guys get their chances and get consistent chances to make a permanent mark on their team. I think Holloway is probably going to get the first crack out of those three. And um, I, I, I think he'll succeed. I, I, I'm i not going to say that he makes the team out of camp and plays the full season and he gets like anywhere between like 35 and 40 points. It could happen. But um, it, it all depends on where the Oilers uh, see that he fits best. Maybe yeah. he starts off in the AHL and he gets some reps there like Tyler Benson did, and then you go from there. Uh, it all depends on uh, the comfort level, how he looks on the ice, and no one really knows that until he gets there. Yeah, I guess that's, that, I would guess that's probably what they're going to do, is they're going to put him in the AHL and then uh, see how it goes. 
I guess I was like when he mentioned the Hyman no movement clause and RNH no movement clause. I was thinking like, well, he's primarily a left winger, um, and he's, it's like he's blocked on the center stuff. So it's like that. I guess he could play on the right wing, but maybe. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's like if Hyman and RNH aren't cutting it, then maybe that's when he takes hold. But who knows if that's actually going to happen or not. Um, in terms of wild card, uh, this uh, uh, prospects. This is another one. That's another left winger uh, who was drafted last year, um, but uh, he was a fourth round pick. Um, he's also. Uh, it's Carter Savoy, or it could be Savoy. I, I apologize to you if I, because I don't know how to pronounce which way to pronounce it. Um, but uh, his brother, uh, Matthew Savoy, is going to be uh, a top prospect next year. Um, mm-hmm. So so get used to that last name for sure. Um, however, Carter Savoy, uh, he actually had a pretty good year uh, for the University of Denver. Uh, another, I guess, another comparison to Dylan Holloway as well. Um, what stood out to me is, is he was a freshman at Denver, which is a pretty good program. Uh, but he had uh, 20 points in 24 games, and 13 of those 20 points were goals. Uh, so, like, that just shows that he's a goal scorer, um, and he can, um, you know, he can uh, do well. I was seeing here that there was only one freshman that had more points than him um, as a fre- yeah one freshman, and that was VT Miettinen, um, which I guess maybe we'll we'll talk about him in Toronto when we talk about Toronto. But um, but yeah, that's it's not bad for uh, you know a, for a freshman in college. Um, but I guess it's kind of like a similar situation to Dylan Holloway, then. Um, but uh, because it's like, okay, when he does make it to the NHL, what, what's he going to be? What position do you put him at? Um, you Ideally, you want to put him at, uh, like, you know, on one of the wings for McDavid and Drysaddle. But maybe at that point, it's already settled and it's Yamamoto and Pool Party on the right side. And then you have a Hyman and RNH on the left side. Um, and then it's like, okay, so then you just put him on the third line and that's pretty good too but um he's also like uh, i think he's he's on the s- smaller side yet he's 510 which is probably why he was a fourth round pick but um but yeah if he can score he can score um it's kind of like what uh, cole caulfield could do um it's it's a similar thing so so yeah maybe maybe this does end up working out but um but i don't think we'll be able to tell until like maybe four years from now yeah, I feel like Savoie could be one of those Blake Coleman type of finds. Uh, not sure about the two way aspect. We'll, you know, it could it could happen. We'll see yep. when he gets there. But um, by Blake Coleman, I mean just the hand eye coordination, uh, the offensive instincts that Blake Coleman possesses. I feel like Carter Savoie could fit that mold pretty nicely of a guy that can pop in twenty to twenty five goals and like near two hundred shots in a fringe, not line two, line three type of gig. And taking a look at um, Carter Savoie, oh, well, look at that. He's a left winger. So, yep. <laughs> yeah, um, that, that'll be interesting, um, how the Oilers work around that. Uh, but the goal scoring ability, he, he might force their hand there. 
Uh, his first year with the uh, Sherwood Park Crusaders in the uh, Alberta Junior Hockey League, he had 31 goals in 58 games for a total of 73 points, 53 goals in 54 games his second year for a total of 99 points, and then, like you said, Brett, 13 goals in 24 games, 20 points uh, in his first year of NCAA action. Pretty respectable numbers there. Um, and for a guy that's currently 19 years old, there's a lot of room to grow. And again, with the not so tall players, just a shed under five foot eight. Uh, just kidding, he's five foot nine. <laughs> yeah. But that's still pretty small. That's below six feet. Right, 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 right. Uh, no, it says here that he's five ten. Okay. Well, according to according to Cap Friendly, he's five nine, uh, but he does weigh one hundred and ninety two pounds, which is interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, we'll see. Yeah, Elite Prospects was saying that he's five ten, so I don't know. Um, yeah, fair enough. I I think they might know prospects better than. Um, than uh than cap friendly does but who knows but wait uh isn't he unsigned because he's still in college yeah he's currently unsigned he's not in the prospect system for the oilers so then how are you watching how are you seeing this on cap friendly i'm i looked onto this tool called uh entry draft board and i just looked Uh, at the draft year and his name came up got it i see okay I, you yeah. said cap friendly, so I, that's what. Yeah, no, cap friendly. I'm correct. That's where. Got, we're oh, I see. I see. Okay, I see where you're going. Got <laughs> We're doing some that's technical difficulties. You search here. on cap friendly for like yeah, an hour, you find some interesting exactly, things. Exactly. Yeah, I, that's happened to me as well. <laughs> um. Anyways, um. I think yeah, it's it's interesting too because like I, I think the more we do this like. Uh, Calgary has a, like an overload of left wingers. Uh, there's, um, I think there was another team that we were talking about that has a lot of left wingers too. But um, yeah, it's, it's it is an interesting thing to just think about. Like, okay, will this guy ever surpass um, another player and and be a top six player? And that's it's unclear. But um, but yeah, we'll see. It's it's why they're a wild card because you don't know. Um, all right. So that about does it for us here. Um, the, thanks for listening. Uh, we're, uh, you can, uh, follow us and subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. That's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in part four of eight of this off-season series, episode 284 of the Lace Them Up podcast.